you a Letterman fan? Uh, yes. You've been watching the the end of the show. Sort of, yeah. Uh, I watched last night and the night before. Yeah. The uh, Bill Murray popping out of a cake. That was kind of strange. It was like to me, it was a real throwback to the eighties. I mean, that's the type of just nonsense from the 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 late night show in the eighties. Yeah, and I don't know, like some of it, it, it almost seems like that the fact that Bill Murray was there was almost wasted, but I guess not because so much of it is reminiscing and those and the uh, you know the old videos and that kind of stuff. But it was fun. Um, so we're recording on Wednesday, the twentieth. Letterman's final show will air. Actually, he's probably funny. I didn't even think about it. He's probably recording it as as we are. Whoa, and that's actually kind of whoa. That just gave me like goosebumps. Should uh, we, should we uh, hang up and go? <laughs> it's it's funny. I've never gone. I'm a huge Letterman fan. Never once um, saw him live, and I do kind of regret that. I never got to see Jordan live either. So. Yeah. it's yeah, okay that's true. we'll Ooh, live did i ever see jordan live i don't think i did i don't think i did i think i i wasted all of those years yeah uh i almost had i had tickets once one time early on in the run of um uh, his show on cbs so this was probably if i think about it's probably 1998 thinking about where i lived i had a roommate for a year and they did a thing where they were going to uh have like a whole week of shows where their audiences were all going to be from the same city. And so one night that week, the whole audience was from Philadelphia and yet, you, you know, you entered a contest and you did it. And my roommate and I thought, you know what? We've never gone. We've always wanted to see Letterman. Let's enter this and we'll be in the Philly crowd. And we won. And so we got, you know, I don't know, thousands of people entered. We were one of like three, you know, 300 who got two seats. And all we had to do was, um, uh, uh, show up for like a bus around noon and they were going to bus everybody up together. Um, and we were getting ready to go. And, uh, my roommate, uh, like checked his email and there was a thing that was like, all you have to do is click this button by, you know, last Friday <laughs> and you're good to go. And nice. it was like, <laughs> I just looked at him. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we won, but we didn't claim the tickets in time. And so I guess the idea the the, the idea behind it was, you know, they want to make sure they, they filled the whole theater. And so the click the thing was like, okay, you've won, but are you sure you're going to go? And then it was like, that's all you had to do. But in the meantime, they, they filled our seats with uh, alternates. Oh, well, that's a good story. Probably better than the show would have been. Maybe. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Maybe. I've never been to know. any of those tapings, and I I even live in New York City, and I've been here for now uh, all, uh, ten years basically, and I've never gone to one. But I, I my first year in New York, I found some email mailing list where you sign up and you get emails inviting you to be in studio audiences for random stuff, and I've never even gone to one of those. But it's funny to see the stuff that comes along. It's you know weird yeah. game shows and um. One day, maybe I'll go to uh, Fallon now that he's he's the man. Yeah, or the uh, Seth Meyers show or something. Or Seth, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm a little wistful about the Letterman thing. I guess I think he's right. You know, it's like one of those things where um, I think he's right that this is the time to go. I do think he's. I think he's. I think he's. I think he picked the right time. I think you know 
sooner would have been too soon. And I think it probably is time. Uh, but it's still, it's like, it just, it, how can you not be sad if you're a fan? Yeah. And I wonder if, uh, how much of it has to do with not just, you know, hosting the show, but all the other demands that being on, uh, you know, being a public figure in the media today are, for example, uh, he doesn't really do anything online. He doesn't really do anything in social media. And I wonder how much of that gig now is is that sort of stuff. Maybe it's none of it. I don't know. No, he's pretty clear about it. Like I think it was in the New York Times interview. Either that or he did two big interviews recently, which is unusual for him. He's you know usually pretty reticent. But uh, he did the New York Times interview and the Rolling Stone interview. Um, cover story, really. And uh, I think maybe in both places it was acknowledged that like the, the game today with the late night show – is partly at least partly to make viral bits that you know that can be separated from the rest of the show five minutes on youtube and can get shared and that he you know his show really doesn't do that and it's not really set up to do that uh kind of the opposite of john oliver which is basically uh exists to feed the monday morning blogger quota right every single site rushing to uh summarize what he said the it's, night before it is uh, that is exactly what happens with his show it is so funny it's like it's it's like why don't you just let people watch it yeah well but that is one way you know wink to let people watch it is to have them watch it on your blog with your right. you know your summary and commentary right uh hey i really enjoyed uh <laughs> your intimate look at your uh iphone stands and i want to send you mine <laughs> You posted uh, this week on Daring Fireball your uh, your two iPhone docks, and uh, I think you'll get a kick out of the one that I bought in Tokyo. Is this for real? Yeah. Is this for real? I don't want to even say. <laughs> you did you own the stock? Yeah, I bought it in Tokyo. <laughs> All right, I'm not. I don't even think we should talk about it. I'm going to put it in the show notes right now uh, as Dan, Dan's iPhone dock. <laughs> It's you're, you're gonna all gonna have to go and load the show notes and see this for yourself because there's absolutely no way that we can do justice to it unless you really want to talk about I'll, it. I'll just tell you the backstory. I th- here's what I think. I I, I don't even remember. Uh, well, I, I know where I found it. I found it in uh, Tokyo Hands, which is the greatest. Uh, it's it's kind of a mixture of a Home Depot and. Um, I don't know, like a Bed Bath and Beyond or something like that. I don't know. It's a, just a great home and uh, hardware store in Tokyo, and I think it, it. I don't think it's the same company that makes the uh, incredibly realistic food models that you would see outside of a Japanese restaurant, where uh, you know the each little piece of sushi looks perfect and that kind of stuff. I've, I've does, bought those in the past. Does this thing have a charger? No, no, no. So it just props it up. It's just a hey, way to prop I, up. I have a, I have a six plus. I don't need a charger, sir. Right. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, the year before I bought this, I got an iPhone 4S case that is that's bacon and eggs, and that looks even more ridiculous. But, um, so this cheeseburger iPhone holder is my, it's my favorite. I wanted to get one for the office, but I was worried that someone would snag it because it's just so crazy. I, I've been meaning to write about these iPhone docs for a while, and it's just one of those things where I didn't really have a reason to. And then when at so the thing is, is Apple came out yesterday, right? With, and that was the context, <laughs> right? With a new Lightning thing, and it's just been. 
like over the i like having an iphone dock a charging dock though i like it i like to, you know if i'm gonna have to charge my phone while i'm at my desk or something like that i why not have it on a dock it's better than having it lay down um uh but over the years it's just been like nobody could ever keep it straight like the original iphone shipped with a dock right it was like right there in the box and it was a great dock and then it didn't fit the 3G or 3GS, and it's like, oh, well, no. And then they didn't come with a dock, and then the iPhone 4 came out, and it turned out the iPhone 4 fit in the original iPhone dock really well, even though the iPhone 4 had, like, a sort of square bottom, and the original iPhone was more like the Apple Watch, sort of a, a pill shape, capsule shape thing. It just fit in that the, the crevice they had for it per, almost perfectly, and the 30-pin was more than enough to keep it stable. So I went back to the original dock with my iPhone 4 and 4S. But then ever since it's, it's been a it's been a shit show. I uh I never had a dock until the Elevation dock which came what 2 weeks before the the <laughs> <laughs> the cord switched. Right. So that was it for me. I was like, "All right, I'm not buying anymore." I somehow docks. wound up with two elevation docks. I think I bought one. I did the Kickstarter, and then I think they sent me one as like a you know like in my role as a you know maybe you'll link to it public figure type thing. I don't know. I don't remember buying two, but somehow I wound up with two and never used either of them because exactly they, it only shipped like two. It was thirty pin, and it only shipped two weeks before the the first Lightning phone came out. I guess that must have been the iPhone five. Yep. Right. Uh, and they did have a thing where you can you can go there now even and get like a, a kit so you can transform it in from a thirty pin thing to a lightning thing. But it, I never bothered with that. No, who wants to do that? Well, I'm sure some people do. Oh, but sure. It yeah. wasn't worth it for me. No, nor uh, I. Uh, the big things for me with a dock is uh, in most cases you want to be able to use it one handed. In other words, you don't have to put one hand on the dock and one hand on the phone to separate it without picking up the dock with the phone. Um, and you want it to be able to fit. I like the idea. Just, I mean, I waste money on everything. I just like the idea though of getting a dock and then being able to use it for maybe more than a year because just in case the iPhone shape sizes changes. So I like the idea of a dock that is sort of agnostic to the shape of the iPhone. Future proof. Future proof. Well, it makes sense too, because, uh, so many people use a case now. And that that's a slightly different shape than a yeah. phone with no case or uh, there are so many different sizes. You know, there's four, there's five C, five S, six, six plus. So lots of different phones to uh, handle with what with uh, one design. Yeah, the new iPhone dock from Apple seems I, I, I'm curious how I guess I'll buy one just because I'm again, I'm really bad with money. Uh, I don't need it, but I'm curious about how it works. So I guess I'll buy one um, because it doesn't have any kind of the only thing that it, it's just a lightning nubbin that sticks out of a flat piece of plastic. There is no back. There's no slot that the phone goes into. It's just a lightning. It, the lightning port itself is the only thing that's going to support the phone, which sounds like it would be a little fragile, but it. I don't know. Maybe they've figured some way to make it really sturdy. It makes me feel less irresponsible for picking my phone up by its lightning cable all the time, which I do. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have the problem where you, you, uh, your lightning cables kind of wear out over time because of that? It has not happened yet. Mm. Uh, in fact, the one I'm using now is a third party one. And even that one 
has has been really good. So yeah. it uh, seems like it's tricky business designing a dock because, it, like you said, all right, number one, future proving it, you want to go for different thicknesses and widths of the iPhone, and then you want to go case or no case, and how many how, you know how many types of cases can you manage to support, etc. And how how easy do you want to be uh, to dock and undock it? Whereas it seems that Lightning has its own kind of uh, tension system built in. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't use. Yeah, that's why I don't use a dock. I just kind of plug in and flop it down on the table next to me. Hmm. Uh, I have a question for you though, which is, why do you think they made this, or if they? had it a long time ago. Why do you think they decided to ship it now? Somebody said, and I don't know if it's right or not, but somebody said on Twitter that the docks over the years, a lot of them that Apple is Apple's own first party dock for iPhone has often come out mid cycle on, on the iPhone that they didn't come out alongside the phones. And I don't know why that would be. I saw somebody else who tweeted that I think it was Jeremy Horowitz. Um, who's at nine to five Mac now that he, I guess he got one already and it, uh, like he read the fine print on the box or whatever, and it was 2014. So it must have, you know, they must have started assembling them months ago, but they didn't start selling them until now. I don't quite get it. Um, I think the basic idea, though, is that for some people, a dock, whether you use it at your desk or you use it like at your bedside or you have both, it's, you know, it's a sensible place. If you're going to charge your phone at the same place all the time, it makes sense to have a dock instead of just a cable. I mean, if you just have a cable, you definitely can't do it one-handed. You need two hands. Um, so the one-hand ability is definitely, to me, a convenience. And I get my desk, like when I'm developing, you know, working on betas of Vesper and stuff like that. As a develop, I know almost all developers have some kind of dock so that they can have their phone in a usable, readable state alongside their their computer. I have some corrections to make. Uh oh, I, I should get this out of the Let's way. Let's do it. Um. Actually, a lot of these are pretty old. <laughs> Paul Kafas nice. was on the show, I don't know, two months ago. Uh, and we were talking about aspirin and whether it was something that was thousands of years old or like 100 years old. Um, so aspirin, as we know, it was first produced 110 years ago, um, like in the late 1800s, sort of a snake oil type thing, but it actually worked. Um, but the natural form of it, which is called uh, salicylic acid is found in plants i.e the willow and myrtle and has been used for thousands of years so that's the source of the confusion as early as 3000 bc the ancient egyptians used willow bark and myrtle to reduce pain and fever uh and those are some of the ingredients that were used to make aspirin uh starting in the late 1800s so it's sort of uh, a little bit of column a a little bit of column b uh, I have another note here. I don't even remember which show it was. I think it was Merlin Mann when we were talking about... Man, uh, these are old shows. Yeah, well, I forgot to look at these <laughs> notes. I have these notes for all the, the follow-up, all the corrections. And I really, this should be a very long list because I make a lot of mistakes every episode. Um, but when Merlin was on and we had a discussion about when to let our our growing children watch which movies. And I said that, you know, Caddyshack came up and I said, no, of course, Jonas hadn't seen Caddyshack yet. And then my wife was actually listening to the show and she goes, you dummy, we let him watch Caddyshack. And I remembered, yes, we did. So yeah. So I let my son watch Caddyshack when he was, I think 10. <laughs> I think that's when I first saw it too. Uh, that's, that's my thinking. That was my thinking of, of letting him watch. My, it. I remember my dad like stood in front of the TV for a couple of minutes 
uh, during one scene. He's like, right, just look over there for a second. <laughs> and uh, no, it's a great movie to see. And then you watch it again like 50 times in college and you it's a totally different movie at that point. But uh, why not? Yeah. Uh, again, uh, no idea which episode this was for, but somebody, I, I don't, I, I guess we were talking about some of my eye problems and we were talking about, uh, that Warby Parker should make a monocle ends up. They do make a monocle. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Warby Parker does make a monocle. I don't know that I would recommend it. It seems to me like that's sort of taken the, you know, the hipster, uh, the hipster thing a little far going with a monocle, but there you go. That's marketing, man. Warby Monocle. There he goes. Right in the show notes. Um, uh, Joanna Stern. Joanna Stern was the great Joanna Stern was on the show a few weeks ago. And we were talking about these. Um, both of us had and turned out bought the same Bluetooth headset. Beats. Power Beats. These little Beats Power Beats. They're Bluetooth. They're meant for like, you know, wearing while you exercise and stuff. I'd never had Bluetooth. You ever had Bluetooth uh, headphones? No. So I'd never had them before, and I bought them while I was testing the watch because I wanted to test and, the... And these are like the $180 ones? That, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you know, like everything from Beats are pretty expensive. Um, I find I've been pretty happy with them so far. They're pretty comfortable. Um, these are the ones that have that little, like, kind of finger coming off them that holds in your ear? Yeah, sort of. There's like a thing that wraps around your ear, and then there's a thing that goes in your ear. Yeah. Um, but the complaint we both had was that the latency was really bad, just the Bluetooth latency. So like when you pause, it was like, I, it felt to me, I don't know what it really was, but it felt to me like second or two goes by before the audio actually pauses. And then you hit play again, and it's a second or two before it plays, uh, it, which was like driving me nuts. And somebody sent in, I forget who, sorry, I don't remember, um, that you got to run the Beats updater. There's a firmware update for these headphones. You go to, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. But anybody who bought these things, got, I, it never even occurred to me. I guess it makes sense that there would be such a thing. But I've never th thought of headphones as having firmware that you could update. Um, so you run this Beats updater and... It still is not quite it, – it, I don't think Bluetooth can ever, you know, is ever going to match the latency of hardware, but, you know, like a, you know, a cable. But it, it's, it, it reduces the latency all the way down to what I expected at the outset. There's like a fraction of a second where when you pause until it actually pauses, and there's a fraction of a second when you go to restart the audio before it actually starts playing again. But it seems totally reasonable and it, way, way different than what it was when I opened them out of the box. So anybody out there who buys like these Beats uh, headphones, if you get these Bluetooth ones and you find the latency is like insane, like how could they do this? Uh, get this updater. The updater is weird too. It's like a Mac app that you run that then goes to opens a web page in Safari, and it's the web page that shows you the progress as it updates a thing that's plugged into your device by USB. Very strange, but it worked. Isn't that amazing? Software update for your headphones. I, it just never would have occurred to me to look. How do never, you uh, how do you charge them, and how often do you charge them? Uh, USB, you charge them by USB. There's a, a little micro USB thing on the bottom of the left earpiece, and it has a rubber nub and that covers it, I guess, for you know sweat and water resistance. Um, so you just plug it in by uh, USB. So the, the 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 fact that Apple made that uh, iPhone dock 
and do, and does not yet have uh, a proper charging station is something that that puzzles me. But <laughs> now, you know, a charging station for what? Well, just now I have three things I plug in almost every night. Four if you count this new MacBook, and now if I get wireless headphones, hmm. that's five. So, um, so someone's got to do a re- you know it could be Apple. I don't know. Someone's got to do the the best uh, charging station possible. So how long do they last? I think that they say they last like six hours. Um, I All have, right, so that's once now, a week I've, or something. I've been running a lot recently. Um, the last, you know, since the weather's gotten nicer, and I did have one run where uh, my headphones conked out halfway through, and I was oh. very confused. It just was like it just plays like a little sad song, like and uh, and then I guess that means we're out of juice, goodbye, and then you got nothing. Um, so I don't know. I try to remember to charge them every every second day or two. I don't know. It's hard to know, but you do get a little battery meter in in your status bar in iOS. Um, so it's like when you have them paired with your phone, um, it shows up in between your phone's battery indicator and the little Bluetooth icon in the status bar. There's a little vertical battery, a little tiny one. It's actually hard for me to see. Um, but I can kind of get a rough picture of whether it's like mostly full or mostly empty. So you can see the battery on your phone of the charge of your headphones. It's all fiddly enough. It's it. The whole thing is fiddly enough that I can, I now understand why Apple doesn't ship their own wireless headphones yet. Yeah. But it works well with the watch. Uh, it did in my testing, but in, in real life, I don't, uh, I, what I really want to listen to is podcasts. Right. And to listen to podcasts, I still need my phone. So I'm still got my phone on my arm, you know, while I'm running, it's, you know, I, I have it paired with my phone, all the 99.9% of the time I, I did pair it to the watch while testing it to see if it worked and it did work. Um, but that's really only good for like music that you stick on your, on your watch. So strange. They haven't, they didn't launch with podcast support, but well, it is, strange. I, I guess. Yeah. And you know, who knows, who knows what the t- schedule is for third party apps. I mean, like a watch kit app is never going to be able to do it. Like there's no way, you know, like Marco can't make overcast store anything locally on the watch yet right it's all you know watch kit is all stuff that you know runs and stores stuff on the phone so the only way that you could get podcasts on it now would be if you put the actual podcast episodes in your itunes library and then made a playlist in itunes i mean this sounds like having an ipod in 2002 you make a playlist and then you tell your watch that's the playlist i want to sync to but then you're stuck managing your podcast by hand like uh you know like an animal (laughs) Yeah, it's not worth it yet. No. I mean, it would, in theory, it would be nice. I would love to go running without the phone and just have the watch. And I don't care about GPS, so that wouldn't bother me. But it's to have the podcast to listen to. I still need the phone. Cool. What else you got? Uh, Correction-wise. Oh, one more thing. And this is, like, super nerdy. This was last week with... Uh, with uh, David Sparks on the show. And I said, uh, it was my mistake, not his, that RTF, you know, the rich text format that text edit has long uh, defaulted to, I think all the way back to the next days, even before next was purchased by, by uh, Apple, you know, the rich text format. And that's a Microsoft originated format with sort of cross platform um, styled text. 
uh, it wasn't supported in iOS. I said it still isn't supported in iOS. And I was talking about the complications that people, you know, you have, if you, you, if you store your text in anything, but plain text that long-term, eventually whatever styled text format you have chosen to use is not going to be supported anymore. And it turns out rich text format is in iOS as of iOS seven, iOS seven added it. And I'll put a link in the show notes. There's an NSRTF text document type in iOS as of iOS seven. But, uh, so it's not even that recent, I guess, I guess it's two years ago, but I, I did not know that. What, uh, but anyway, from iOS one through six, there was no RTF support. So I was kind of right. What format does the notes app use? Uh, that's a very good question. I th- think that it now uses HTML under the hood. Hmm. Interesting. Because I believe it does styling, right? You can. Yeah, they it didn't used to, and now it does. And I believe it's HTML. It's some kind of HTML under the hood, but you're not supposed to know that. Yeah. Interesting. What does Vesper use? It's plain text. Oh, that's right. Right. That's which, you know, was a very deliberate choice on our part. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think that's it though. I think that I, now I think I've cleared the deck on uh, corrections and mistakes. Speaking of those uh, Bluetooth earbuds, while well, I remember the, the, I, I did go into the Apple store a few weeks ago and just kind of looking at the options that were out there uh, in case I was going to do an impulse purchase. And the, the guy there kind of showed me all the, different options and, and that's the one that he recommended but they even those looked a little little cumbersome uh which so ones the, the beats ones the ones that, oh, that you have yeah. yeah you know what drives me nuts about them i'll tell you, it, it it and it just i know that they didn't make them they're probably designed before the beats acquisition by apple and i know that they're you know they're made for any anybody you know they're not like meant to be paired with an apple product they're meant to be paired with any product that supports bluetooth um but the little clicky thing for plus minus and play pause and that has the microphone on it is on the left string, not the right string. And every Apple one ever made is on the right string. And so I still have the habit where I, if I go to pause it while I'm wearing them, I reach up with my right hand and I fish around and can't feel it. I've, I've experienced the same thing. These Bose headphones I'm wearing now have it on the left ear, uh, your phone pod i guess or whatever you'd call it and it why would you do that if you're a designer like i i know that you can't just say well apple did it this way so it's a standard but it's a de facto standard because nobody makes more headphones than apple i think apple's probably like the number one headphone maker in the world there's probably more pairs of those white earbuds out there than any other headphone in existence i guess in this case because there is only one cord coming off of them these are can headphones earbuds i guess by definition you have to have two cords so uh, all the earbuds I've seen do it on the right, hmm. but I don't know. Strange. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break and, uh, thank our first sponsor and it's our good friends at Squarespace, longtime supporters of the show. Here's the thing. I, I talk about Squarespace all the time cause they're often sponsored of the show. Best way to think about Squarespace is that they are like next generation. They're like leveling up on hosting your own website. Like the old school way of hosting a website is you get some kind of account and then you have a bunch of folders and directories that you SFTP in and you just make all your sites with files and 
images and throw them up there and, and do this. And Squarespace is so much far beyond that. They're not a web host. They are an all-in-one platform. And it you start with something that is so much more advanced. It's It's like if you're making an app in today's world, you start with these incredible frameworks, you know, like Coco for iOS or the Android frameworks for Android. Um, Squarespace is like that for a website. You start with this tremendous framework that has all this sort of stuff you need and you're working at such a higher level and it is great for both sides of the expertise fence. If you are the sort of person who doesn't know the technical stuff like HTML syntax, how to write JavaScript, how to write CSS, it's great because you can design your own website visually, like using an app, just looking at it and making it look the way you think it should look. And then that's the way it really is. Um, but if you have the technical expertise, and I'll bet a lot of people who listen to this show do, and you know how to build your own site by hand with HTML and stuff like that. Uh, and you might think, well, then I don't need Squarespace. Well, you don't need it, but it could really, really just give you a leg up and you can get started. You can be finished in minutes, maybe, but hours, even with a lot of tweaking as opposed to days or weeks, because they give you the hooks where if you want to inject your own JavaScript into a page because you're using, uh, you know, some kind of thing that has a JavaScript API, you can do that. If you want to tweak the CSS. You don't want to just use the visual stuff. You actually want to get in there and do something specific in the CSS. You can do that too. So you've got the automatic mode, but you can like switch to manual if you want. Really, really great stuff. And you can just save so much time and be relieved of so many details that you don't need to worry about. Everything looks professional. So many professionally designed templates to choose from and they're all just starting points where you can tweak them and modify them from there. And you can use it to build just about any sort of site you can imagine. An online store, Squarespace has their own commerce stuff. Uh, a blog, you can use it for podcasting. They have their own, they even let you host the audio there. Um, they take care of everything. Uh, so where do you go to find out more? If you have a website to build, any kind of idea for a website, uh, go to squarespace.com. You get a free trial. You can do everything with it with the free trial and you don't need to put a credit card in in advance. And then when you are ready to buy, use this offer code JG, just my initials, JG, and you will save 10% off your first purchase. So my thanks to Squarespace. Uh, build it beautiful. That's their new slogan. So what's going on? You know what I got yesterday? What's that? I got my uh, my personal Apple Watch. Whoa. I got the one that I ordered one minute after they went on sale. Space black. uh link bracelet how do you like it i i like it a lot i'm very very happy that i picked this one what band it, were you wearing with the uh, review unit mostly uh mostly the link bracelet oh uh, okay i didn't know you had one so yeah i i got the the watch they asked me you know when a the you know like a week before i got the review unit they were you know they were like um which one do you want and we're not seating review units of the edition models <laughs> So it's like you can have anyone you want except for the edition, which I would not have asked for anyway. Have you seen one yet in the wild? No, I have. I have not. Not outside the I store. Have not either. Or an Apple event. I've actually been thinking about writing about that. Actually, uh, hold that thought. Hold that thought. All right. All edition. right. Um, uh, and I asked for this one. I asked for. I said, "Well, okay, I'll take the uh, space black uh, 
link bracelet. And they said, okay. And then uh, when I got my review unit, they were like, we couldn't give you that one. Sorry. And so they gave me the regular link bracelet. Um, I, you know, I, I, I asked why, and they, they just gave me that Apple, like, we don't, you know, we're not going to tell you why. And that was that. <laughs> um, but my guess, you know, just based on the shipping times is that they just were backlogged production wise, even with the relatively few number that they would need for, you know, review units. But definitely for sure, though, even like back at the end of March, when I got the review unit, I saw Apple employees who were wearing it. So there, you know, people who were within Apple have had the black space space black link bracelet you know since march at least if not earlier i saw schiller tweeted a while a couple weeks ago somebody asked him on twitter what watch he wears and he he has the black link bracelet so i like it a lot i have no idea why it took so long to ship but i guess it you know whatever the wherever they're producing these things they must have been lower priority than some of the other models and what was the process like kind of shifting over from one watch to the other did there's not really that much living on the watch. So No. So I've done this before because oh, right. I had that bum I had the bum review unit. So I did it like one day in. And I forget why. I don't know if I was just curious and tinkering, but a few weeks later I just reset my watch not because I needed to or I had any kind of problem, but just to like I forget why. Um Oh, I know why. Um because I wanted to see what it was like to use it with an iPhone 5S instead of a 6. And so I had to unpair it from my 6, put my SIM card back in my old iPhone 5S, and go through it again. So I've done this a few times. It's actually, it, it's not too bad, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, part of it is that when you unpair it, it makes a backup of the watch on the phone. And the backup is not in iCloud. It's only on the phone. It's like part of the data of the Apple Watch app on the phone. And so unpairing takes about five minutes. And you think, why the hell does it take five minutes to unpair? It's because it's doing the backup. Then the next time you pair an Apple Watch, whether it's the same one or a different physical thing, when you when you go through it in the Apple Watch, you have the option to restore from any of your backups. I've actually got like, I don't know, I'm up to like eight backups now. And you can't delete those backups yet. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, sometime I guess they'll update the app so you can delete them. But um, but there's a timestamp on it. So you can see, you know, give me the one that I just backed up 10 minutes ago. Uh, and then it takes like another five, 10 minutes for, for that to restore. There's a few other things, though, that I always forget to do. Like I always forget to to set Apple Pay up again. And it oh, makes yeah. sense. It makes sense that that doesn't carry over um, because it's, you know, the secure element things aren't part of the software. You know, the, the whole point of it being a secure element is that it's, you know, a separate storage. So you have to, every time you do it, you have to, re you know, start Apple Pay all over again. It's also a different uh, card number for each device. Yes, right. It's Each device gets a different um, unique identifier, not just, you know, so you can't, there's no way that you can just restore from backup and have that come over. Which is good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. It wouldn't be as it wouldn't be secure if it, if if it worked the other way. But it is unfortunately, therefore, a little bit less convenient. Because I never, I actually remembered with this one because I got burned like two or three times with the old one when I reset it. But this time I actually remembered to set it again. But then you go to like you know you go to use Apple Pay and you sit there and you're double clicking the thing and it's like you haven't set it up yet. 
And you rest- so you restored your personal watch off of the backup from the test unit, and that worked well. Yeah, perfectly. Cool. Yeah, I, 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 it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. I don't even know what else I would have lost. You know, your apps are going to come over anyway. Because I. There just isn't that much. I guess, you know, it's that I didn't have to reset, you know, reconfigure all my watch faces. Right. Yeah. That I, I switched to my personal one after, I don't know, three or four days with the review unit. So I just started from scratch. I figured, well, I didn't really do anything good those first few days anyway. So I'll just start over. Uh, but uh, I imagine at this point you've set up enough stuff that you don't want to have to think about it. Yeah, more or less. But even so, I don't have that many watch faces configured, and they're not that hard to fiddle with. And I play with them. And you know, it's I, I would say of all Apple products, it's the one where the difference between restoring from backup and starting all over is probably the least. You know, the least difference. Do you do you have like a mental algorithm as to where you put different apps? I've spent most of the last seven weeks with them in random places, mostly yeah. with the ones that I do use the most centered around the the clock face, and then let all the other ones be random. Um, I switched to a, a new system the other day. I guess I, maybe it was when I got this watch, and I took some time. You know, since it was a new watch, I took some time to play with it. And instead of making like a circle around the clock app, I've I've set it up. You can it takes some playing with, but the way that they stick in that honeycomb pattern, I've made like a pyramid on top of the clock app and a separate pyramid below it. And then not much to the right or left of the clock app. And the ones on top are all third party apps and the ones down below are the, the built in apps. Ah, interesting. I've, I've kept the third party apps toward the outside perimeter, but I've tried to keep them as close as possible to their corresponding, Apple app. So I have City Mapper next to the Maps icon mm. and uh, the various running apps that I'm testing next to the main workouts app. Uh, but I don't know if, and, and I also have tried to position them uh, using the same kind of layout as my iPhone home screen. So overcast is like bottom left or bottom mm. right corner. But I don't know if I'm going to stick with, you know, this is just kind of half random setup. Yeah. Um, I have to get the bit. The next thing I have to do, like just busy work on the watch is just, I have to delete about 20 of these. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had it set up so that it installs just automatically. Whenever one of my iPhone apps gets an update with a watch kit component, it just automatically puts it over. Cause I've wanted to be, um, you know, just show me everything while I'm learning about this platform and experimenting with it. But in practice, I use so few of them that just having them there just make it just makes for it just makes it harder to find the ones I actually do use. Do you sometimes I see the circle kind of filled in halfway, like it's doing an update, and it just kind of sits like that for a while, and I don't know when I've that happens that, or why and and how to stop it. I've seen that too, and what I've found the best thing to do when you get that, if you have like a third party watch that it looks like it's installing, but it seems paused. You know, it ha- like you said, it has that progress meter over the, the icon. Sometimes the icon isn't even there. It just has the generic icon. Yeah. I found the best thing to do. It's harder if you don't even know what app it is. But go to the phone. Go to the Apple Watch app on the phone. Go to that app and uninstall it and then reinstall it. 
Oh, and that, from that the watch. Usually fixes it. Yeah. From no, no, from from the well, from phone. the phone, but uninstall it and reinstall it in the watch app, not delete yes. the app off your iPhone and then right. Okay, right. Just delete it using the Apple Watch. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so hard to talk about using the Apple Watch app on the iPhone. I think what I've been doing is just restarting the watch, and that seems to fix it. But I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that's one of the problems that they've cleared up with oh, OS yeah. 1.01 because, uh, I mean, it only came out yesterday, uh, I think, or the day before. Yesterday. yesterday or the day before. Maybe. So yeah, day before. it hasn't been enough time, but I haven't seen it again yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I don't think there's much user-facing stuff in that update. No, I don't think so either, except for the emoji. Oh, yeah, true. And the new language support. They did add a bunch of languages. That's good. Yeah. Um, so which when, which watch are you wearing? Uh, I'll tell you one second. When you when you I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this. When you received your review unit, uh, was there some sort of like space that you went to, or something like that? Was there like a meeting place that you went to? Yeah, I think technically I'm not supposed to talk about it. All right, let's not talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, but you go there. But you, you know, I but I just like any other product. I've I have personally never once received any review unit from Apple that wasn't accompanied by a briefing where yeah. you talk to somebody from Apple and they, you know, and it sounds annoying, but they, they, in my experience also, they're also very respectful of your time and patience and they don't really waste your time, but they definitely don't, they don't just give you a box. They certainly don't ship them to you. Uh, you know, they just sort of run you through some basics no matter what the product is. Um, and so, yeah, I had to go. I went to New York and had a briefing there. All right. I, uh, I guess I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this either, but let's, I'm going to say something because why okay. not? Because it was cool. Uh, I, I got mine after you got yours. And I think, I think someone else, I think Philip Elmer DeWitt was at the same kind of wave that I was in. And I think he wrote about it in a, in a somewhat cranky, amusing way. Um, but was, what was interesting is that, at uh, the thing I attended, Apple had brought in their two tables full of watches to give you a demo of. Hmm. To and this is not at an Apple store. This was at a you know at a totally different place. And they had brought in those huge watch displays and uh, completely unnecessarily. And I thought it was pretty pretty interesting and kind of unique that they did that. Yeah, they had the same thing at, uh, from my right. briefing. All right, well, never mind. <laughs> at the end of March. Well, the funny thing is, so years ago, uh, when was that? When the when they first they had a they had a briefing for Mac OS X, and I wrote about it at Daring Fireball. Uh, oh, right. When where uh, I met with Schiller at the yes, you know, yes, a couple of product, you know, sort of a couple other guys from his product marketing team and some people from PR. Uh, and I just wrote about the actual experience of the briefing. Um, and I had asked, I, you know, they, and it was the whole idea was they were giving us access to Mac OS 10, 10.8, I think. Was it 10.8? Um, let me see when was that. But it was like they, they had been on a schedule where Mac OS 10 was getting updated every two years and they wanted to get back on like an every year schedule. And it was a surprise. And they said, you know, do you want to come meet in New York? And they didn't even tell me what it was. And it turned out we were getting a pre-release version of, uh, uh, you know, an upcoming version of Mac OS 10. Um, 
Uh, and I asked, you know, and they were like, you know, and I was like, was this on the record or off the record? And they're like, it's on the record. You know, you can write about it. You know, we want you, we want to start getting, you know, we want you guys to use this. They gave us, um, like MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros, I forget which, preloaded with it so we didn't have to put a beta on our regular machines. Um, and they were like, it's on the record. You can talk about this, uh, you know, what you learn. But they did not anticipate me going meta and writing about the actual briefing as opposed to uh, yeah. what was said about the thing. And they weren't, I was, wasn't, I didn't get like a nasty gram or anything, but then every other briefing since they've always reminded me that they've changed, they've changed the language of the what's on the record and what's off the record such that writing about the event, you know, the briefing itself is actually, you're not supposed to. Well, here, there's <laughs> they called it the, they've called it the John Gruber clause. Well, here's the, uh, here's the fortune article by, uh, Elmer DeWitt that, uh, that'll be the, the new clause. <laughs> <laughs> I just sent you. There he is uh, trying it. <laughs> oh, photo credit Apple PR. <laughs> awesome. Uh, anyway, I I just thought that was an interesting example of going above uh, above what's necessary to uh, to do something in a cool way. And maybe we'll have to edit this whole thing out. I don't know. No, I don't. Uh, think so. I think it's all right. So I anyway, just, so you asked me what I'm watch- what I'm wearing, and it's the. Uh, the blue sport version, hmm. which is my the one I personally ordered, and, uh, and I love it. I I tried out the you know the main watch, uh, and they and I got the Milanese Loop and the green sport band, which is not uh, doesn't look as great. I think the blue one looks really good. I've been I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's I, I noticed the the weight difference between this one and the main one, and I actually prefer the lighter one. I'm not you know it's not even for I'm not like going out and running with it all the time. I just kind of like the the lighter thing. But I also have never in my life owned a heavy kind of dude watch or anything like that. Yeah. The yeah. last watch I wore uh, was a Casio calculator watch. Unironically, in middle school or something like that i think anybody would get used to any weight watch the gold one might always be feel a little heavy but only in a way that i think you'd want a gold watch to feel heavy like you kind of don't want to forget that you're wearing a gold watch but i as someone who's worn a heavyish stainless steel watch for a couple of years i found it a little bit hard to get used to at first but it it quickly you you acclimate um i notice it most with i i've tried just just experimenting with apple watch i've tried um wearing it on my right wrist just to see what left-handed mode is like and when i put it on my other wrist i was like holy crap this is heavy but it's funny because my left wrist is so used to wearing a watch that i never noticed it but for people who haven't been wearing a watch the last few years i can totally see how the first impression would be i like the sport watch because this feels this doesn't feel like i've got something weighing my wrist down yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a huge difference, uh, and and actually, the Milanese Loop is lighter than the Sport Band, so the all-in weight is almost hmm. the same, but it's just hmm. kind of uh, distributed more, more evenly. Hmm. Anyway, oh. the thing I like here. So just to go back to this, the Space Black, my my day, you know, twenty four hours with an impression is it's exactly what I thought it was going to be like when I bought it, which is that it just looks like one shiny black object on my wrist, especially when the screen is off. Uh, it doesn't look like 
a shiny device with a black display. It just looks like a black thing on my wrist. And then when it lights up and it's like on the watch face, it, to me, it looks really cool that the, you know, it's just the only thing you really see are the pixels of the watch face. Like it, it, now it's not that you can't see the edge between the sapphire and the, the stainless steel, but at a glance, you can't, it's all just shiny and black. It's a very, it's a very cool effect in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a good look. The, this, this, the, I don't know what you would call it. Aluminum, uh, sport definitely when it's off kind of has a distinct look to it. It's very bright and it attracts a lot of light. So it's, I don't think this will age well. Um, and w- one of the reasons I got the cheaper one is because I figure I'll be upgrading this probably every generation for the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, budget, but uh, it definitely sticks out. The other thing I noticed, and I'm curious to see, because I know like the the um, the space black ones only started shipping a few days ago. Like I didn't get the first one, but it, I don't think anybody got one more than like like three or four days before me um and a uh, friend of the show everybody internet uh, sweetheart renee ritchie was waiting for one too i think he and his seemed to ship at the same time mine did but but because his was going to canada he probably didn't get it till today but i'll bet i haven't looked at twitter today i'll bet he's got it um i'm really curious to see if other people have this problem too is um i when i tried to take the band off the bracelet off it was, it, I, at first I thought it was stuck. Like I, you know, and I'm used to taking it on and off. I've swatched, swapped the band on my review unit dozens of times over the last six weeks. And even right from day one, never really had a problem with it. You click those little release buttons, slide it out, and it just goes out. With this space black one, I'd click the button and the button definitely went in and the bracelet just did not budge in that slot. Just didn't budge. And at first I thought, Hmm. And then I, I really started to think maybe this is, you know, I've, I've got another problem here. Um, so then I put it down on a table and I really pressed the button hard and I really put a little bit more force than I was comfortable exerting to slide the band out and it nudged a little bit. And then once I got it going a little bit, I could get it out, but more or less, it just felt like there was a lot of friction and it was a very tight fit. Um, uh, and then after I got both halves out once, it never was that difficult to get, you know, to do it again. But it still, even after doing it a few times, has an amount of friction that is unlike uh, the review unit one. So I talked to, uh, the, what's his name, Greg uh, Koenig, the guy the the guy who has all these in- crazy cool insights into the, the metallurgy of the Apple Watch. You know, the, he wrote that uh, amazing post about, you know, what Apple's doing with metal. You know, the guy I'm talking about on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so I asked him about it and he said, like, I was like, do you, so do you think this DLC coding would that increase friction? And he was like, no, the opposite. Um, you know, a lot of like high end machine tools are use a DLC coding to decrease friction. Um, so it's not the DLC coding, his theory. And it probably makes sense to me is that, I just happened to get like a bracelet that, you know, within their tolerances, which are crazy small, has a slightly thicker, you know, lugs on the bracelet that slide in. And I got a watch with slightly thinner diameter slot. And it just happened, you know, both are within range, but because the slot's a little tighter and the bracelet's a little thicker, 
it just makes for a tighter fit and that it's sort of inevitable at manufacturing things at the scale that Apple is that, you know, you run into something like this. Whereas like if you were buying a thousand dollar watch from Rolex, you'd never run into this because everything is done by hand and it's, they're not doing, you know, a million units a month. Yeah. And you got to assume it. Well, I don't know, but I would assume that over time it'll loosen up a bit, but I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely loosened up from the first time I took it off. Like, and it really does. And I assume some of this stuff is not done by robots. I mean, whenever you see behind the scenes stuff in Apple's assembly places, I mean, it seems like everything's done by hand, really, or almost everything, you know, and then um, I just presume that somebody there had to put the bracelet on the watch and could tell that it was tight, but let it slide. I mean, and again, it's not dysfunctional. And once I did it once, it was easier to get it on and off. But I'm curious to see. Um, it just seems like we're seeing so many l little things that affect a small number of people with the watch, you know. And I'm curious to see if this is one of them once the space black ships to more people. Well, that kind of helps explain some of the uh, quantity issues. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it's the first time they're making these things, so sure, of course, there's going to be, and they're all different, so there's yeah. going to be some stuff here and there for removing the links from the bracelet. You know, the way you take the links out to resize it, it was easy as pie, just as easy as it was with the the, the regular stainless steel one I had as a review unit. Hmm. That was easy. It was only taking the bracelet uh, out of the slot. That's interesting that the coating makes it have less friction because I would not it's, have guessed it should. that. Yeah. It, I'll tell you what, the other thing too, before we move on, I'll just say it does feel weird to the touch, like not weird in a bad way, but like if I close my eyes and just run my finger over the side of the watch, it doesn't really feel like metal to me. It doesn't feel like steel, but it doesn't feel like plastic or rubber. It feels like, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I think if I was really honest and I didn't know what it was and I was blindfolded and you said, what substance is this? I'm not sure I'd be able to guess. It's, it's a very strange feeling. Not in any way unpleasant. It's nice. It feels very nice to the touch, but it doesn't feel like steel. Whereas if I touched the other Apple Watch, the review unit, you can instantly tell this feels like steel. Is it that it's less porous or? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit. It's like it feels sort of like a plastic coating on steel. Yeah. But the plastic's the wrong word though. But I mean plastic only in that it feels smoother. It feels less porous. It feels like perfectly polished. Hmm. That's cool. I'll have to try one out. I haven't I, I kind of skipped that one during the try on session. Yeah. I definitely and I recommend if anybody does get, you know, some hands on time with one, just feel it. Don't just look at it, but like actually feel it. What color is the accent on the crown? Is it black also? It is black. Oh, cool. Everything is black. Yeah. It is. There is a sort of Darth Vader-ish aesthetic to it. Uh, do, you, do you go for a different face with the black one than the silver one? No. Same no. activity okay. with the orange second hand. Cool. I See, now that, the, you know, I don't know if saw it, maybe it was on Twitter or somewhere where you were trashing the uh, color face, but... Uh, 
it actually looks great when you have a colored band. Oh, I didn't want to trash it. No, I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, Actually, there's something very annoying about the color face. So if we have some swing here, let's talk about it. There, uh, I. I, uh, Well, hold that thought. Let's do a sponsor read, and then we'll know we'll know where we're coming back to when we come back. We'll we'll bitch about the color face. Uh, Let me take a break here and tell you about our next sponsor, another longtime friend of the show, our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is is the service where you send your photos to them. They print it directly on glass your size, whatever size frame you want, anything from a little five by five square up to a giant, like 23 by 29 inch thing you can hang on a wall. Amazingly to me, it's amazing to me with, you know, with all the talk about megapixels and how they don't really matter, et cetera, et cetera, but that you can take like photos with your iPhone and print them on like a 23 by 29 thing. And it looks great. And it doesn't look pixelated at all. Uh, you can totally do that. All sorts of sizes, really great service. Uh, and just amazing results. They print this stuff right on the glass and it looks like it's right on the surface. Now, really what they do, the printing is on the bottom. So like, it's not going to scratch off or anything like that would, what you expose, like if you hang it on a wall, the printing isn't on top of the glass, it's on the bottom of the glass, but because it's just this thin layer of glass, the effect is, is exactly like, you know, the effect of like the, the display being laminated to the glass on an iPhone. It just looks like the like the picture is on glass. Uh, I've said this so many times, but I'm telling you, you get a couple of these, you hang them up on the wall. And when people come into your house, they say, whoa, what is that? How did you do that? How is that possible? Because it doesn't look like any other pa- or, or picture hanging on your wall. There's no bezel around the side. It's edge to edge. And it really, it clearly does not look like a piece of paper with the photo on it behind glass. It really does look like it's right on the surface. It's such a great effect. Um, Father's Day is coming up. It is a tremendous gift idea um, for anybody in your family. Can't can't go wrong with uh, Fracture as a gift idea. So where do you go to find out more? Go to FractureMe.com and use the code when you check out Daring Fireball, and that will save you uh, 15% on your order. So my thanks to Fracture. Go there. I know I talk about them every week, but they keep sponsoring because you guys keep buying the pictures. So keep buying pictures. And if you haven't done it yet, check them out. You're nuts if you don't. So you want to talk, speaking of color photos, we can talk about the color. uh, Color face. Looks great with the uh, color sport band. I love it. Uh, But it's there, you know, and every watch face has different complications. And uh, because I have not owned a watch in so long, I can't tell time. So I keep the digital time in one of the corners. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> kind of it's, embarrassing. It is a little embarrassing. I know. Um, but you know why? You know what actually is the main reason? Is that the watch uh, has sleeves have not been a problem. Like the watch fits pretty nicely under my shirt sleeves. But it kind of parks itself in a way that if I stretch my arm out, I can't really see the whole watch very easily like yeah, kinda yeah I, to, I kind of have to fiddle with it so in the bottom right corner i keep the the digital time um but there is no digital time function complication in the color face so you have to use world clock um right so you have to keep your city and i guess it, i don't know how, what the details are but when i essentially when i leave when i switch cities i have to change the 
time manually or the city manually to have the have the current time there which is fine i don't you know i don't it's not like i'm traveling all the time but uh so but now it always says nyc with the local time in the uh, corner so friend of the show um uh, Dave Wiskus, editor of the show, as a matter of fact, uh, came up with a clever um, hack on that. So with the color face, you can also one of the uh, it's the only one where you can have the monogram uh, complication. It is the color face with the monogram, right? I don't think so. I think uh, that's uh, let me customize it. Nope. Oh, wait. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can set a monogram on the phone in the Apple Watch app. There's somewhere in the settings, and you set a monogram. You only get up to four characters, I think. Uh, you have four characters to play with, and you could just put your initials in there, anything up to four characters. And then it puts it, like, underneath the 12, you know, like where the logo usually goes on a on a watch. So I figured out you can't put emoji in there, but you there are – those I don't even know what you call them, but those Unicode, Unicode characters that are pictures but aren't emoji because they're black and white. And um, there's the one that's the Apple logo. You know, I think you can get by typing option. shift command or option shift K. Yeah, option shift K on a Mac. Um, so there's no way to get that on iOS, but if you get it, type it on your Mac with option shift K. You can like text it to yourself and then copy it from the text and then paste it into the monogram thing, and then you can have a little Apple logo on the color face underneath the twelve o'clock, um, which is a neat little trick. But to me, it renders a little too small. It's it's like the size isn't right. Whiskers had the idea though, because uh, I think he does the same thing you do, where he wants the digital time. Uh, even with an analog face is you can also name custom, make custom names for the time zones. So like if like, let's say you live in Philadelphia, if you don't want it to say NYC for your home time, you can make it say PHL or whatever, uh, or whatever your hometown is in your time zone. So you could name the time zone with the Apple logo and then you Ah. just have a little Apple logo and the digital time up in the corner, which is a pretty neat trick. If you want the digital time, but don't want to have, stupid nyc or you know sf or something like that up there too yeah although when i so so then when i was in california last week or two weeks ago i switched it from san francisco to la once i landed in la and but it was kind of cool it was like yep now i'm in la and, I, and my watch is telling me that so i don't know maybe it's a feature and not a bug for the u.s at least i well again this is why they let you customize it is to me i guess i'd rather just have the time zone like uh, you know, I just Eastern daylight time or Pacific daylight time or something like that. But I get, you know, for like worldwide, I don't really think, I don't even know what the name of the time zone is for Paris or something like that. I just, you know, I want the city, but I think it's pulling in the city from your world clock settings, which I think is across iOS. Yes. So you go to the, you go to the clock app in, I think, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows how you do it? Play around. <laughs> Mess around with the Apple Honestly, Watch. like this is some of the most fun I've had though, is messing around with this thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, people all the time are asking me, should I should I get one? And I would say the entertainment value is has paid at least paid for half of it so far. <laughs> I've had a breakthrough. I've been trying to write about the um and as we record, I think this is one of those things, famous last words, because sometimes I get I get 
backed up and I don't get stuff out the door. But I think that the article I'm talking about writing will be published on Daring Fireball before this episode of the podcast airs. So I'm going to talk about it in the past tense. So but that's what you've been up to. I've been trying to write about the interact. It's not super long. It shouldn't be a super long article. But I've been struggling to, to write about this ever since my initial Apple re watch review. And I said, hey, I'll, I didn't even write about the software here, but I'll write about it later. And I still haven't written of it. And it's because I've, it's not because I've been lazy. It's because I've really been struggling to just get it. I've felt like there is something to get that I'm close to getting, but that I couldn't quite get until uh, two days ago. And Stephen Berlin Johnson wrote a piece on Medium, um, kind of complaining about the behavior of the digital crown button, that he thinks it does too much, that it should be, you know, like on the iPhone, you hit the home button, and no matter where you are, it takes you home. And then, like, the one other thing it does uh, is if you're, like, on a not first home screen and you hit it, it takes you to your first home screen. But no matter where else you are, tap that button once, always takes you home. So his idea was that he thinks that it's like the digital crown. Um, it sounds complicated because if you're like on a watch face, it takes you to your home screen where your apps are. And if you're on the home screen with the apps and you press it, if the clock is centered, it'll take you back to your watch face. And if the clock isn't centered, it'll center on your clock face. And then you can tap it again and it'll take you to your watch face. And if you're in an app, it'll take you back to the list of apps and that he thinks that's it's like too much. And that every time you tap the digital crown just once, it should just take you back to your watch face. And I totally understand how what he was, his arguing is simpler, but I feel like it misses, it, it helped me centralize my, my, my understanding of the watch interaction design. And I think what he's missing is that the biggest difference between the watch and iOS and any other thing I've ever used is that there's really two modes to the watch. There's watch face mode and app mode. And app mode, for lack of, I and mean, these are my terms, not Apple's. App mode is pretty much everything else. Like when watch face mode to me is the primary mode of the watch and watch face mode is it shows a watch face. You slide down for notifications. You slide up for glances and from a glance, you can launch the corresponding app and all that time you're, you're just, you stay in watch face mode, uh, not, not app mode, watch face mode. So like when you're in a glances, you hit that home button, it just takes you back to your watch face because you're still in watch face mode. If you pull down notifications, you hit the digital crown button, just takes you back to your watch face. Uh, the other thing the digital crown button does is it lets you switch between the two modes. So that's, you know, that's the two functions of the digital crown button. One is while you're within either one of those modes, it just takes you back to the default place for that mode, which for watch face mode is your watch face and which for app mode is the list of apps. And then you can, you know, then you hit it again and you toggle between the two. Hopefully this will make a lot more sense in my article, but that to me is the big breakthrough. And it's very clear to me, the more I think about it, that this is the way the watch interaction model works. And the biggest tell is that when you're using an app, like let's say you're using Overcast, that's an app that I use a lot. Uh, Great app. 
It's really a great app. Really, really is. I, I thought mean, that- he nailed it the first version, and then he re-nailed it the second version. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's and it's amazing that Apple isn't even doesn't even seem to have any podcast anything on the horizon. So, yeah, well, I don't think so. Um, if I'm in Overcast and I hit the digital crown button once, two different things can happen. I'll either go back to the list of apps that you can pan around, or I'll go back to my watch face. And the difference is, how did I get to Overcast? If you launch it from the glance, you hit the home button to just go back to the glance, right? I don't know if I have the glance installed. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I haven't glance. been re- using glances, really. Only for, like, heart rate. I You should try okay, it. Here, I have the glance. Me, Getting used to using it. You, you hit it once to go back to the watch face. So you go from watch face to a glance, any glance. Go to the weather one. Go to any glance. And oh, if wow. you tap tap the glance to launch the app, when you tap the digital crown button, you go back to the watch face. Because you haven't switched modes. You're still in watch face mode, and you've only used the glance as like a launcher. Uh, if you launch the app from the list of apps, when you hit the digital crown, you go back to the list of apps. You go back to which one you are. You have to still hit the digital crown once more to switch to the other mode. And then the other thing that you'd never have to worry about, at least in the default configuration, which I really do think is right for everybody, is at any point you can just put your wrist down and stop paying attention to the watch. And 30 seconds later, you just get put back into watch mode. So that when you look at your watch the next time, it's just showing the watch face. With exceptions for things like the workout app or the remote app, which if you're using them, stay there because they assume that, you know, if you're using your watch to control your TV or if you're doing a, a workout, you want to have it default to that until you're done with the whatever it is you're doing. So it's almost like there's two different hierarchies of, of interface. Yes, uh, exactly. And my my guess is that the watch face trunk or whatever you would call it probably gets the most time. Yes. And I it's certainly the quickest, I guess. I almost think of the, and I, this sounds denigrating, but I don't mean it that way. I almost think of the app mode as sort of like a junk drawer. Like, <laughs> like the watch world is so neatly organized. You've got these limited number of faces to choose from with the complications that you can play with. And again, I I'm with you. I think it's a lot of fun to play with them. I, I'm still doing it eight weeks later. Um, notifications from the top and the glances from the bottom. If I tell you, if you haven't tried, you try using glances, organize them in a way that seems useful to you. Um, I just I mean, like the icon screen so much. Like I almost want to look at that more. And I, I, I do always pick the wrong app, but whatever. <laughs> I've gotten better at. It. Yeah, I I'm, find, I'm a little better too. But I, find I like that, picking the apps off that little screen. It, it looks, it's like candy, you know. Yeah, I find that if you try to tap the top of the app, I, I, I'm more accurate as oh, opposed to the middle of it. Um, I wonder if the, uh, the, the whatever you would call it, the algorithm it uses to figure out where you're trying to touch is different on the watch than it is on the on uh, the iPhone or iPad. I'm convinced that it is. Yeah. Convinced. And it makes it... Have you ever tried using it not on your wrist? 
Like take the watch yes. off. Yes, like when I'm giving it. a demo to someone and it, I want to type it, in my passcode, it never it, works right. It is impossible to tap them correctly. I feel like they have corrected for the parallax of the angle that you're at. The, you know, it's it's completely optimized for being on your wrist at the distance where you would you know keep it from your eyes to poke at it with your other hand index finger. Yeah, I'm convinced that they're that they went through, and I think they even I think they even changed the parallax to account for left-handed and right-handedness. That it's not just up-down parallax, but like left-right. Um, that it's you know everything has a little bit of slop in one direction because you know if it if if the watch knows it's on your left wrist with the crown in the upper right, it knows something about which way you're likely to you know mistap with your other hand's index finger. Hmm. Wow, I just discovered something crazy. All right. If you if you open an app and very quickly scroll down on the digital crown, it quits the app. Hmm. As if you are zooming out of the way you can zoom into an oh, app. Yeah. If you launch it and then quickly scroll out, it quits it for you. Huh. Weird. Yeah, it totally does. I find that a little weird. I do find it a little weird that you can zoom into an app but can't zoom out. But I guess you can. But you have if to you're fast anyway. enough, now you can. I think that the zooming into an app is seems like a gimmick. Well, to me, it only happens by accident. Right. When would you ever do it by per, you know purposefully put an app in the middle and then zoom into it? Because you have to you have to have your finger on the screen, not the wheel, not the crown to get it centered in the first place. Right. And the only app I ever want to zoom into is the watch. Right. Which you can do just by tapping the button. You don't even have to zoom in. So it. I wish that zooming in anywhere recentered it onto the watch, but maybe that would be, I don't think that would work. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what the alternative is though. They're not going to zoom into the icon so far that it, that it blurs. And they're not going to stop the zoom at some point, are they? I don't think so. No. But uh, my point, though, is that I think that the watch the, the watch face world being the primary interface, it could have been the only interface. And there, the, now in that, in that scenario, every app you had would have to be a glance. And you couldn't, you know, if you deleted the glance, you'd be deleting the app. Um, but you could do everything that way. It, now, it wouldn't be a good interface for supporting more than i mean what's the what's the most number of those glances that you could have that would be practical i would say maybe like 20 and even then it's a lot oh, because i was going to say 5 or 6 but well i'm just saying the maximum yeah. would be 20 um and so i think you know i think that i think the basic idea behind the watch is you're going to live in a watch you know most of what you do is is the watch face and stuff you can get from there and you put your favorite you know five or six things as glances that you can just swipe up to get to um, you can deal with no most notifications right there without switching to any kind of app. Um, and then for everything else, yada, 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 that's why there's the app mode and you switch to the app mode to do everything else instead of trying to um, shoehorn 
any additional complaint. I know the whole thing, I think that there's so many people who have complained about it being complex, but I feel like separating this into two different modes and that people don't need to worry about. You don't need to, you know, it took me eight weeks of thinking about it every day to come to this conclusion that it's sort of just two based, you know, two, two modes that you switch between people don't need to understand that to use it. You just, you know, you just kind of have to just keep tapping the crown a couple of times until what you want to see shows up. So it is a, it is a complex interface. It is. There's a lot of complexity to it. I think they put a lot of thought into it. But I also think that you don't, one doesn't need to really understand that to any degree to use it. You just kind of have to keep stabbing at the digital crown, maybe twice, maybe three times, and then you'll be back to where you want to be. Do you think that the, so right now, so many of the, you know, it's so early, so many of the the glances and apps are effectively the same thing. Do you think they'll differentiate more as people start to understand what these things do? Right now, it seems like yeah. the glance is just a dumb version of the app. Yeah, like a but a version with just one button that launches the app. Really, because you can't have buttons and glances. Even Apple's glances don't have buttons, except for well, some of them now cheat, playing guess, does, like, which is the the yeah. glance I use the most, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I take it back. Apple does cheat with their glances, uh, by having buttons. Yeah. Now playing is a pretty cool one. Um, third party ones just launched the app and even some of Apple's just launched the app, like weather and stuff like that. I find uh, like in the early days of using it, I even knowing and deliberately trying not to use it as a little mini iPhone on my wrist. I found myself, you know, when I wanted to do something that wasn't right there on the watch face, like, I love the way that you can just, t- if you have the temperature showing, you just tap the temperature and it jumps you over to the weather app. Love that. I love that if you have like a calendar showing, you can do the same thing for calendar. Um, like, I think that's such a great way to jump to your, if you use the activity app all the time, just tap it right there on your watch face and you go there. Um, but then for everything else, I would go to the home screen and pan around the thing and launch an app. Um, I just, I found I wasn't using Glance as much, but, but, purposefully trying to use glances more i really do think they're pretty great yeah i'm gonna that, all right this is like a goal now is to spend more consciously spend more time with glances i will do yeah. that and i will report back uh all right so we, something we didn't get to talk to at the beginning was i still have uh, about the uh, edition series and i still yes. have not seen i thought i saw a guy with one the other day but it was just the stainless steel reflecting kind of a warm a warm color yeah. Uh, and I haven't even seen any on Instagram. I mean, besides the celeb, you know, the celebs who have their fancy special models. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. And the thought that occurred to me was we spent so much time over the six months between when they announced it and when it came out talking about the edition stuff, you know, what, you know, speculation on the price. Uh, commentary on what does it mean for Apple as a, as a whole strategically, you know, is this a shift? Is this something new? Is it, is it, have they become a new, a different company? Is this bad for the, you know, the typical user, you know, uh, like the two sides of the argument, uh, it, and we debated all this to death is it, does it mean that Apple, it only cares about the, the super rich because they can get a better device than the people who buy the $399 sport edition? Or does it mean that 
it's great for the typical person because you get a device with the exact same functionality in electronics for $399 that somebody with money to burn spent $17,000 on, right? Like I, there's two ways to look at it. But in the, I was thinking about the other day, maybe, I mean, it, if nobody's buying these things, maybe the whole thing is like irrelevant. Like it might as well, like the difference between the world where the addition line exists and the hypothetical world where they only had the steel and the sport ones there's no difference between those two worlds because nobody actually has the addition ones. And I wonder how many actual, you know, models they made. I wonder too. Maybe, and maybe it truly was limited. Maybe there was like a hundred of each or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like there's the, and it seems so it, there's the ones that you, you know, that they list and that they show on the website, they have them in the tables in some of the stores, the Philly store has the addition ones and that you can, you know, order and buy. Um, but then there's also like the addition, addition ones that they've had at some of these press events where there's like band options that aren't even available. You know, like Carl Lagerford has the, uh, the gold Milanese loop band. Yeah. Um, you know, these somebody else had that one too. I don't know if it was it was a Beyonce. You mean the gold link band, link bracelet? No, no, no. It's oh, really? Gold. Oh no, maybe it is. No, maybe you're right. Maybe it was a link. Well, bracelet. Definitely, yeah, it was a link bracelet. It was yeah. a link bracelet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gold link bracelet. Um, that aren't even option offered, and there were color options that that people had for like the leather bands that you know you can't get elsewhere. That, that's how you know um, you had a good year. <laughs> When you get a gold link bracelet? Yeah. Just, you um, know, something that's not even on the website. Yeah, I guess. I But I that doesn't mean, I was thinking about this too, though. That doesn't mean, though, that it was folly for Apple to do it. And it might be. Like, I think that the, the cynical take is that it's, like, just satisfying Johnny Ive and Mark Newsom's uh, desire to make, you know, crazy-ass expensive gold watches. Um but there might be a practical benefit to it too, where it has that psychological effect of the seven, eight, nine, eleven hundred dollar steel ones looking a lot more purchasable when they're next to ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar gold watches. Like, how do you get someone to buy a thousand dollar watch? Put it next to a ten thousand dollar watch. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well. Maybe maybe next time I'm uh, in an international airport, I'll look more closely. I ha- I haven't been to Asia yet since uh, they launched, so maybe I'll, I'll ask my sister in Hong Kong how many she's seen around the office, and we'll we'll get a better yeah. idea. <laughs> I wonder if Ben Thompson has seen any, because Ben Ben would be maybe the guy to maybe spot a couple over there, and maybe that is so. That would be that would be the uh, argument C. Argument C would be like argument A is that it was just folly. Argument B is that it's sort of a strategic marketing move to make this, the the steel ones look mid range and affordable. Whereas if there were no gold Apple watches, the eleven hundred dollar or you know whatever I paid for this space black thing would look extravagant. Whereas it looks you know downright cheap compared to a ten thousand dollar one. Argument C would be that it was that they they are selling these things and they're going to sell them, but it's all it's totally an Asian thing. Or just that that was like the last priority in terms of manufacturing them, so they they're holding out, right? Maybe, maybe that's hmm. like a holiday or, and, and so one more question I have is: Do you think they will update the the offerings at all 
before the holiday season? Ooh, that's a great question. I think no, not this year. Not uh, even any new bands or anything like that? Yeah, I wonder if maybe they would come. I, I, that would be something that it wouldn't surprise me, that maybe like come September when they have new iPhones to announce. And last year, the watch shared the stage with the iPhone. Maybe the watch shares the stage with the iPhone again. And maybe, maybe they've got the third-party SDK update ready to ship. If not, maybe it's, you know, at least some kind of update on it. You know, I presume we're going to hear about that at WWDC next month. Um, and that developers will get to start writing the native apps that run on the watch, not just WatchKit um, apps running on the phone projected on the watch. But that that's not going to ship to, you know, in a consumer update to the watch for, for months and months to come. But maybe they'll show that in September. And then maybe to have something to sell, they'll, they'll have new bands. That's, you know, and there was one of those celebrity Instagram photos where they had, uh, you know, a rainbow of sport bands uh, on offer. And, you know, having the sport model, I'm very excited about the idea of having many different, because these bands are 50 bucks or, you know, probably third party ones will be even even less. I'm very excited about the opportunity to have three or four different color bands to where with different uh you know during different seasons or whatever and some of those other colors like the yellow look super cool uh i would definitely want like a navy blue or something like that so i hope that those exist sooner than later my son would love a red one like a project red red yeah Not like any kind of funky red just red he's got the the black you know sport model i think it would look great that'd I mean, be a great would- combo yeah yeah, but that seems like the most natural combo. In fact, the Beats headphones I have right here are black and red. I mean, oh, black yeah. and red is a is a fantastic combo. Yeah, you got to imagine that's going to happen at some point. Uh, I, it seems like they've had enough trouble just getting the the ones they've they picked out the door. So, yeah, I maybe. think too I, that there's sort of a that Apple has looked and part of the thing with the watch thing is that yes, they are more personal and you do want to personalize it. But the funny thing is like. Um, so I like at the live uh, version of the talk show at WWDC next month, which I, I have to talk about. Um, uh, don't let me f- sign off on the show without talking about it. Um, but let's face it. You know that at that live talk show at WWDC in San Francisco next month, that out of 500 people in the room, there's probably going to be about 480 wearing an Apple watch. And yes, there are going to be all sorts of bands and band colors, but <laughs> there's probably going to be 300 of them wearing the black sport with the black yeah. sport band. Um, and even with if every single sport and steel uh, combination is somebody has it, there's a you know there's a uniformity there that holy crap this room is full of people wearing an Apple Watch with all the different. I mean it's still it's way less you know it's way closer to being uniform than being individual. Um, even given that and that need to you know have some kind of expression with the watch thing the band that you choose i do think that apple has looked at the the case market for phones and how you know such a, a large majority of people put their phones in a case and how much money that represents and that they are kind of looking at these bands and yes there's going to be a third party band program and they're going to have a certified thing and they're going to take a cut out of the certified stuff that they sell through the store and it has the made for apple watch logo um but they're really looking at it and they're like we would like to take most of the money from people buying third party bands so we're going to have a lot of them 
Like they totally could have watched launched the first version of the watch with a, a far fewer band combinations. Oh, definitely. And I think that they just looked at it as this is just pure, not pure margin, but there's an awful lot of margin, you know, by upselling everybody or a large majority of people to an extra fifty dollars or even more. Or more, yeah, hundred and fifty yeah, you know. for. I'm kind of eyeing the blue uh, leather loop, but I want right. to try it on first, and it's still two to three weeks shipping time. So hmm. we'll see. Uh, breaking news you know what i'm going to hold this uh, i'll come back to the breaking news let's do a sponsor read and uh and then i'll come back remind me to go to the to, to the uh breaking news um but let me tell you about our next sponsor and it is another one of our uh longtime friends of the show igloo igloo makes the internet you'll actually like um intra i-n-t-r-a it's a it you know if you've never heard of internet maybe you're young maybe you don't know uh in the late 90s, it, it, I, I feel like this is worth going over for the kids. So in the late 90s, when the internet you know, blew up and became a huge thing, uh, companies, enterprises, teams said, well, this is great, but we need something private, something that is off the public internet for us to use for private communication, secure communication within our team. And so the word intranet came up, and it's just like the internet, except it's within your little team. Uh, and there's companies like Microsoft has like SharePoint and there's other ones, uh, and they all blew, you know, blew up and th- people spent tons of money on all this crap. Uh, and it stinks and everybody hates it. And it became anybody who's ever had to use an intranet. Uh, it's like a dirty word. It's like, uh, uh, so Igloo, they, what they've done is they've taken that word, which has sort of become a dirty word and they're embracing it. And they're saying, look, here's an intranet. This is a great, the basic idea of making a little private thing for your team to communicate on with a whole bunch of features is a great idea. And let's just keep the word and we're going to make one that you're actually going to like. So you sign up for Igloo, you have your team, you get all sorts of stuff, little apps that are built into the system, shared calendars, Twitter-like microblog. So you can have like your own little team Twitter type thing where you post things like tweets, except it's not on Twitter. It's totally private. It's right there on your internet. Uh, file sharing, task management, and more. Uh, it's everything you need to work better together in one very configurable cloud platform. Uh, they've added new features recently. They've got this thing where you can get... Um, uh, uh, if you have like a document that has to have, you know, somebody else, like uh, I, me and you are on a team for the talk show and you, I've got to get you to sign off on the thing. I can do that. I can share the file and have like a read receipt, you know, like a read receipt for email to prove that you saw it. I can prove that Dan Fromer saw this document uh, through this new feature in Igloo. Really great if you've got that sort of process on your team. Uh, uh, they They... Igloo always brags about this thing. They've got this thing called Gartner's Magic Quadrant. And it sounds like a bunch of gibberish, but it's really what it means is Gartner goes through and ranks a whole bunch of internet-type software uh, from all sorts of big names, Microsoft, IBM, Google, VMware, Salesforce, SAP, all this stuff. Well, Igloo is listed alongside all those big companies for the sixth consecutive year. Uh, praised by Gartner for the ease of use that you don't need to be technical to set it up, uh, that you get great support. Uh, they're competing with all those big companies in terms of what Igloo's platform does, but they do it in a way that is like totally modern, really cool. Uh, 
all through the web. Everything is scalable. Everything is responsive. So you can use your phone, you can use your tablet, you can use your desktop. Best of all, here's the thing. Uh, it's free to try. Just go there. You sign up, go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Uh, you don't have to save any money because the, that just lets them know you're coming from the show. Igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Sign up, start using it, uh, poke around with everything you want. And for up to 10 people, it's free forever. Just if so, if your team is 10 people or fewer, you'd never have to pay. You just use Igloo and you have a free internet. And if your team is more than 10 people, use it with 10 to get started to see what it's like. And that's how confident they are that you'll sign up and uh, put your whole team on it. So my thanks to Igloo. Go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. So breaking news. Uh, I told you before, Rene Ritchie was waiting on his Space Black uh, Apple Watch. It arrived while we were doing the show. He texted me. Uh, his band came out fine. No, no friction. Nice. Breaking news. More breaking news. Apple stores to begin stocking watch bands this week. From, from Scoop German. <laughs> Is that your new name for for young Mark Gurman? It should be. He, yeah. Kid's on fire lately. He had like three today. So <laughs> one of them I was going to ask you about. So uh, more more details from iOS 9, including the switch to San Francisco as the default system, system font. font. So first right. of all, do you think there's going to be an iOS 9? Yes. As in like right now? Yeah, I think I, I would expect that it'll that I think that they really Apple really likes annual schedules. And so I think that um, at WWDC in three weeks, there will be iOS nine will be revealed. Mac OS 10, 10.11 will be revealed and we'll get them in the fall. Cool. I think I, I agree. There's a lot of, you know, and German himself has reported that uh, that there might be more of a shift towards um, reliability and bug fixing uh, as opposed to really laying it on thick with a lot of new features, uh, which I think is also, I don't think it's it partially in response to actual, you know, the reality of, you know, iOS 8 and uh, the current, you know, Yosemite. And I think partially that that's the natural ebb and flow of the way these things go that they've spent the last few years uh, doing things that had to, they had to do all at once. Like if you're going to add these continuity type features where the two OSs hand stuff off and, and share so much um, there's no way to kind of do that halfway. You've kind of got to go all in. Um, but yeah, I totally think we'll see that. I'd be, I'd be, and I, I'd be way more surprised if we don't see iOS nine. Cause I feel like they, they've had a new version of iOS every year. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's inter- it's crazy how it's only a year ago that so many of these features were introduced too, and they already seem, you know, like just part of the part of the way everything works. Uh, I imagine since you know you could kind of see if you go back and look at last year's announcements how they foreshadow a lot of the ways that the phone and watch uh, talk to each other, um, and now that all that stuff is kind of public uh, I, would, I would guess that there would be some more integrations between the watch and the phone and the mac and all that kind of stuff yeah i definitely think so i mean i'm curious to see what they do i mean probably well i don't know it's hard to say because the watch is such a peripheral to the phone you know that the watch isn't really like a standalone member of the tribe 
it's like a addition to the phone in particular. It's interesting how in the in the Apple Store they have a watch paired to an iPad, but you can't do that as a as a mortal. No, I didn't know you could do that in the store. Yeah, they they're, those demo units, unless they're hiding a phone inside that crazy case too. Hmm. Those watch the live demos, which are kind of in that crazy case. Yeah, um, that's an iPad Mini that's in that same case. So I imagine that's what it's hooked up to. I had the thought today, and it was it was reminded of it earlier in the show when I was telling you that the one time I unpaired the watch from my phone was to go back to the 5S to see what it was like using the 5S with the watch. Um, that the next time I have a, a new iPhone to review, it's going to be weird. Oh, yeah. Because I guess I'll have to unpair my watch. I mean, unless I stop using the watch too, right? But the, you know that doesn't really seem like even notwithstanding whether or not I am in the mood to keep wearing the watch. I feel like as a reviewer, part of the review process is how does it work with Apple watch, but I'm going to have to, you can't have your watch paired with more than one phone at a time. And you can't have more than one watch paired with your phone at a time. It's one watch per phone, one phone per watch. And that makes a review unit that I'm only really using for two or three weeks full time, sort of a pain in the ass. Well, we'll we'll first see how annoying it is when the iOS betas come out in a few weeks. How how does that work? Hmm. Uh, I guess you probably won't run that on your main device, so it won't affect the watch. But if you want to do something, if you want to test something on the watch, yeah. The way I've done it the last few years is I've waited until sometime in July to update to the iOS beta. Like I don't I don't run the builds from June. Um, I leave that to the kids. I'm too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do update, bef- you know, at some point in July or August before before it actually ships. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting with the watch, too. I don't know. Do you, so uh, what do you think of this, the move to San Francisco? Uh, I'm not surprised. I, I think it'll probably look good. Um, the caveat being that there's like a hack. I, mean, I talked about this months ago on the show, but somebody came up with a hack on GitHub for if you download the versions of San Francisco, there's two two versions of San well, two families. There's San Francisco text and San Francisco display. Uh, and text just means smaller and display means bigger, more or less. Like the display variant of any font usually means something that you're going to put at a display size, meaning a big size. And that there's differences between some of the character sh- subtle differences in the character shapes and the spacing based on the presumption of how big it's going to be. Um, somebody made a hack and they published it on GitHub so that you could use um, San Francisco as the font in Yosemite, OS 10, 10.10. Point ten, um, and I installed that, and I felt like I was going back, you know, to my early, you know, the younger days when I would install all sorts of crazy interface hacks on my system um, because I was so curious about it. And I felt like it looked okay, but it didn't look great. But my guess is that that just means that they need to make some more tweaks to the font to make it look right at the optical sizes that it appears on a Mac compared to the watch. Like I feel like the version that they shipped already is truly optimized where even on the watch display text is still tiny because it's a tiny little watch and on the Mac, it's a much more reasonable size. So I feel like it, you know, I I think it'll look good. And I think on iOS, it'll look good too. Yeah. I've I've gotten used to Helvetica uh, on the Mac, but you know, it's, I'm not glued to it. 
Yeah. And I'm sure like wrote, for a company that sweats the details like Apple, it, they'll make sure that it looks good at all those system sizes. Right. And it, you know, it's always been a little weird to me. I've always thought that iOS or not iOS, Helvetica, and I'm just going to say Helvetica and not mention Helvetica Noia at, at, you know, as a separate font, but let's just say Helvetica. Um, I've always thought it was a curious choice for a system font. And, you know, and it's been the system font on iOS all the way from the original iPhone. Um, and I love it on the iPhone. I've, you know, it's not, some people think, cause I, I often say good things about Helvetica that it's like my favorite font and it's not even close, but I do like it and appreciate it for what it is. And I think it's such a humble choice on Apple's part back in 2007, because it's, you know, Helvetica is Helvetica. It's the, you know, it's the only font that there's been a movie made about. It's the default font in text documents, you know, in text edit. It's also not owned by Apple. So any other, anybody else can make a phone, you know, and HTC's done it. Other companies have done it where if they license Helvetica, they can use Helvetica on their phones too. Whereas if you own your own font, like they do with San Francisco, Apple has a font that, you know, can be part of their unique identity and nobody else can use it. It's the new Chicago, right? Did they own Chicago? Yeah, definitely. What an ugly font. I mean, <laughs> well, but it was perfect. It was, for, it was yeah, it was, it was a perfect bitmap, like yeah. 640 well, by 480. That's something I want to talk about. At, I'm, I'm at the, there's a conference going on alongside WWDC this year, the Layers Conference. It's a design conference, take two blocks away from Moscone on Tuesday and Wednesday of WWDC week. And I'm uh, Susan Kerr, who designed oh, cool. Chicago, is like the headline keynote speaker. Uh, and then I'm doing a thing where I'm going to interview Susan Kerr on stage, uh, you know, after her thing, I would love, I can't wait to talk to her about Chicago in particular, because to me, Chicago is a, is one of the weirdest fonts I've ever seen. I've lo I loved it, I lo but only loved it at exactly 12 pixels. It was yeah. a pixel font, but like, it's such a weird font. Like there's no other font that it, 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 it doesn't look like anything else. It doesn't look like, like, like Helvetica. It's certainly, you know, it is a sans serif, so it doesn't look like any serif font there ever was. Um, but it's just weird. It's it, in a way, it's sort of like bridged the gap between the pre GUI world and the GUI world, where it sort of had some of the characteristics of like the fonts from the era before we had proper typographic fonts, you know, fonts that were really meant to fit on a pixel grid, not any kind of high resolution grid. I, uh, when I started Splat F in 2007, I was monkeying around with different logos and fonts for the you know the title, and I was going to try to use Chicago, but it was just so impractical at you know any any web resolution, let alone Retina resolution. It just right couldn't work every time. And then so I feel like Apple was in a quandary when TrueType came out in System Seven, and they couldn't get rid of. Uh, Chicago. And in fact, it was still the system font when system seven shipped. Um, they didn't switch the system font until the, you know, the redesign of the GUI with, uh, Mac OS eight. Um, but it needed to be true type. Like if, you know, all the system fonts were true type, if some of them were true type, they all had to be true type. So they made a true type version of Chicago. And then once they did that, people started using it, you know, out in the real world. And every time I've ever seen it in my life, like used. Oh yeah, like, on a sign or something. 
Right. It's always like, wow, you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Whoever, whoever chose that font should be, should have their license to choose fonts away. Did you ever see the uh, Welcome to Macintosh podcast by young Mark Bramhill? I saw, I've seen that it exists, but I haven't checked it out. So he uses it properly. You can, you can go there at Macintosh, Macintosh Macintosh.fm. It's a great podcast by a really, really smart uh, young man named Mark Bramhill. But he's, he's got his logo set in uh, Chicago. But of course, it's the bitmap version of Chicago, not the, not the true type version. I love it because Mark, Mark, I've met him. He was actually at the, uh, when I was in New York and did the, book thing uh when i interviewed uh, the authors of uh becoming steve jobs a couple weeks ago oh yeah uh, he happened to be passing through new york he lives like somewhere down in the southwest and he was passing through new york with his dad um i, don't, I think he's like 20 years old 19 years old something like that so he's way younger than the bitmap macintosh era but this is like the identity that he's chosen for his podcast which really warms my heart like to him though, it's totally retro. <laughs> you you did such a hilariously Gruberish uh, non promotion of that event. I totally would have gone. I didn't even know it was happening. Ah, you know, so I didn't. That that really wasn't though. That wasn't Gruberish. It came across that way. In other words, I didn't link to it or I didn't yeah. say anything publicly. I didn't even tweet that I was doing it. They told me not to. Oh, okay. Just to um, keep it, um, so they wouldn't need fifty security guards and. Well, it might. That's the thing is it, it bothered me because there were a few empty seats. And I know if I had tweeted it, there wouldn't have been. Uh, and I hate to see empty seats. And there were so many people who said that afterwards said the same thing. Like just friend, just personal friends of mine who live in New York. You're like, that's why didn't you tell me you're you know doing this? But the, the, the publishers of the book crown publishing, uh, and they did. They like I, I think it was like ninety percent full, so they did fill ninety percent of the seats, and it would. And therefore, because their promotions filled ninety percent of the seats, if I had tweeted it, it I guarantee it would have been overflow. There would have been people turned away. So, what would have been better, having a couple of empty seats or having you know dozens and dozens of people turned away at the door? Because that store, the the theater at that store in Soho is really pretty small. Small, yeah. I wanted to go to a uh, real. By the way, real time follow up, as they say. Uh, I did not start Splat F in two thousand seven. It was two thousand eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that I always mess those two years up because those are the, the years that I switched jobs. Um, and they th- rhyme. Yes, and there was an event in two thousand seven with uh, I want to say Jason Schwartzman or the uh, no, well. Yeah, because he was in the short. It was something with uh, Wes Anderson, maybe, at the Apple Store. Oh, he's in everything. He's in everything with Wes Anderson. Yeah. So who knows what movie. Well, I think it was Wes Anderson speaking at the Apple Store or something like that. And that was, they had a line around the block or something like that. So I couldn't get into that. And that was kind of disappointing. Uh, So you don't want that to happen either. No. So I wasn't trying to be coy and I wasn't trying to be secretive, but, and it wasn't like they banned me. They were just like, don't worry about it. You don't have to link it. You know, we'll take care of the place. So I was like, okay, whatever you say. So don't don't ever, you know, anybody who is upset that they didn't hear about it on Daring Fireball, I was, you know, I was just doing what they suggested. Anyway, I think San Francisco should turn out great. I don't think it, like I said, I think installing the versions that they shipped right now, as is, is not going to give you the look that they're after. But I, I'm with you. I mean, there's no way that Apple's going to ship it if it looks ugly. No, I think it's it's good. And, and they're kind of setting the ground long term also for, you know, all these things to look more like each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that that Helvetica was never a great system font. 
that there's a certain role that the system font plays that Helvetica isn't great at. I think it's a great font and I think it's a humble choice, but you know, it doesn't really look like a label and that's what UI font really is. They're like labels. I also think it's pretty clear that they're shifting to using it like for any kind of user interface, including hardware, because the new keyboard on the, uh, the, the single port MacBook uses San Francisco as the keycap font on the keyboard as well. And it looks good. I mean, I, you know, I have it and I, I don't notice that. So looks good to me. Oh, you have that. That's the computer you have. I do. Yeah. You're using it right now. I'm not. No, I, oh. I, uh, well, as I was complaining earlier, there's not really with something like this. Uh, and I'm sure Apple's busy, but it would have been a lot I think they could have done a little more accessories in the USB realm for this thing. Uh, you know, they had the, the $80 stuff that most people don't need, but I, I would have loved to have seen some sort of proper hub or chart, some more interesting charging options or even a, a USB C to lightning cable. Yeah. Or just, like an elegant hub. Yeah. Just some stuff. Just, you know, and it's easy add-on sales. Like, I probably would have ordered a bunch of that kind of stuff. Uh, instead, I've been ordering USB cords off Amazon, and they're all random manufacturers. They're all too short. None, none of them are any good. Um, I have to, I'm going to have to send one back. So I, I, I only use it for stuff that uh, that I, I don't need to connect anything to it. Hmm. Uh, but, it's, it you know, it is extremely sexy machine is as much as a laptop can be a sexy machine space black no or space gray i'm no. i'm a purist to me the most beautiful mac ever is the you know the original power book well the original titanium silver power book so yeah, the titanium ones uh i never had a titanium one my my hmm. first actually and, and this should be at, at some point a post but my first laptop that i ever bought with my own money was the 12 inch powerbook g4 uh g3 g4 i don't remember what chip was in there i think a g4 yeah what color was it so it was the aluminum 12 inch you know i think the aluminums were always g4 yeah they were g4 and uh it was it was really great but it was also extraordinarily limited and and very heavy and as a result, even though it was compact, I never really took it anywhere. So it was completely kind of dumb as a laptop. Uh, but it, to me, those are just super beautiful machines. So I've, you know, even though I had choices for what colors, I also, and I've seen some other people say this too, that space gray just reminds me so much of the Sony Vios that my friends had and hated mm. that, <laughs> I don't know, it's just a weird, uh, a weird thing in my head. So I, I, as a purist, I stuck with the silver aluminum and it's beautiful i really like it yeah. uh and the screen is is it's my first retina mac and it really makes me realize how bad my vision has gotten <laughs> it's like wow this is blurry and how, how bad am i seeing um <laughs> no it's cool uh you know we don't, we don't need to get into review territory but uh i'm, I'm happy with that. i did not return it hmm. um do you see Marco Arment got one and he really did not like it. That, did that, not like that's it. what I was winking at. Yeah. It does not like, mind. does not like the keyboard. Uh, doesn't like the trackpad, which really surprised me. I have not spent time with it. I've only played with it in a store, but I've liked the way it feels in the store. 
Um, not surprised he doesn't like the keyboard, and he found it to be too slow, so he's he's actually returning it. Neither of those two things bother me. Hmm. Uh, the screen is is nice. I I it was not as I was not as blown away as I thought I would be by the screen. I don't know if that's my vision or the actual screen. Uh, the thing that that is a little I would say the most disappointing is the speed, and um, you know, I'm still using a, a 2010 macbook air 13 inch yeah and it's still very fast Hmm. it's probably the most impressive computer i've ever purchased yeah i had a 2010 macbook but the 11 inch and i used it until last year i mean i used that a long time or maybe mine was a 2011 so not a 2010 but anyway but that that vintage of air i thought held up very well amazing and this i know is not going to i mean right now even even brand new it's doesn't feel very fast, which is fine. Mm. I use it for, bl- for, you know, writing blog posts, but mm. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to get four years out of it. Uh, let me take a break and thank our final sponsor and then we'll wrap up the show. And I'm going to, I have information. I have details to reveal about the live episode of the talk show during WWDC week. Um, but first I am going to thank our final sponsor of the show and it's automatic. Now I've, they've been on the show once or twice before, uh, just spelled exactly like the dictionary word automatic. What is it? It is a small connected car adapter. It's just a little dingus that you plug into your car's diagnostic port. Uh, and I think every car since 1996 has one of these ports, uh, somewhere down there underneath the dashboard, there's a little thing that you open up and there's a little tiny port. It's, uh, industry-wide, you plug the automatic in there, and then you get access to this port the way that, like, mechanics do. That's what the mechanics do. Like, when your car has, like, a light that comes on and says, hey, go get service uh, A2, uh, how does that get reset after they actually do service A2? They use this port. So you can go in there. You use this. Check engine light comes on. You plug, You know, your automatic will tell you in plain English exactly what's going on. So instead of just knowing, hey, something has gone wrong and the engine light's on, you'll know exactly what's on. How do you find out from this dingus? Well, it communicates to a really well-designed app on your iPhone and it communicates over Bluetooth. So it's not like you have to sit there and fish this. uh, Once you install it, you just leave it there. Just leave it, you put it in there uh, and you never worry about it again. And you do all your interaction uh, through the iPhone. It's the, uh, the internet of things come to life and your car suddenly, uh, as long as your car was made in 1996 or later, it becomes like a smart car. Uh, All sorts of stuff. You get information about the diagnostic state of your car, uh, it scores your driving and coaches you to drive more efficiently and save gas and save wear and tear in your car. It tells you whether you're, you know, maybe you're a little too heavy on the gas pedal like, uh, like I am. Uh, maybe you're wearing your brakes out too fast. It'll give you advice on stuff like that. Uh, if you don't want to pay attention to it, you don't have to, but it'll give you a warning if you start going too fast. Uh, the default is 70. I, I crank that up to around 90. Um, and joking aside, they even have something serious like crash detection. So it automatic can detect a crash and call for help for free. Uh, A human will even stay on the line with you until help arrives. So hopefully nobody out there is ever going to need that, but it's a good feature to have if, you know, if worse comes to worse. Uh, They even have stuff, all sorts of stuff, this Internet of Things type stuff. They've got Nest integration to heat your home or turn on the air conditioning. Turn, You know, I guess we're heading towards summer, so heating isn't really an issue, but you can have the air conditioning turned up as you get close to home. you can find out all sorts of more stuff. If you just want to learn about the Nest integration stuff, go to automatic.com slash Nest, and they'll tell you about that. 
Uh, and they have all sorts of other ways that you can, you know, connect this to. You can connect it to Google Docs. You can connect it to Twitter, Evernote, uh, if this, then that, ifttt.com slash automatic has uh, information. Uh, anything with an API that you might want to connect your smart car to, they can do it. Sounds fantastic, right? You probably think this is very expensive. Guess what? It's 100 bucks, $100 dingus. You just plug it right in your car and you're done. But even better, listeners of the show, go to automatic.com slash talk show. No the, just slash talk show. Automatic slash com, sl- automatic.com slash talk show. And you save 20 bucks. So it's only $80 for you. And it ships in two business days. And they have a 45-day return policy. Go there, cough up the 80 bucks. They'll send you the thing. 44 days go by and you're not impressed. Just send it back to them and you get all your money back. So my thanks to Automatic. Um, so what else we got? Well, what else happened this week? Um, that's an... Yeah, that was funny. Verizon bought AOL. Nah. Is that interesting? Not really. I don't really think so. Because I think, I think the only thing that was really interesting to me is just how... Uh, how far AOL has fallen that they were worth like when the time Warner thing went, went down in the first dot com era, they were a $380 billion company and they sold the Verizon. Yeah. That was, that was a good chart. Uh, and a similar stat that I heard, uh, that I read a couple weeks ago was that if you had bought Amazon stock at the top of the bubble, like the highest point of the bubble, uh, you still would have made a, a very nice profit holding onto it by now. So, yeah, it would have been you would have beat the market wow. by several times, the S and P over that period. So, uh, the ups and downs of the dot com bust, I guess. Uh, oh well, we could talk a little about the Wall Street Journal report about the Apple TV. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely what I wanted. I knew there was something. Um, I'm bummed, man. So, how would what's the uh, the gist of it? I, the timeline seems to be that. I, I think ICANN's letter prompted it. I think what happened. So Carl ICANN, you know, the, what would you call him? Quote, unquote, activist investor. Activist investor who owns, I don't know, $6 billion in Apple stock, which is a lot of money, but is not a lot, you know, it, it's not a lot compared to Apple's market cap, um, but enough that he can make some noise. So More than Tim Cook owns. <laughs> yeah. He posted an open letter. Uh, I thought rather rambling, uh, didn't really have much of a point, but, and it, it just was sort of a side note in it that he expects that the reason he expects Apple stock to go up to around 200, he thinks it's worth around $240 a share. And right now it's around 120 to 130. So he expects it to double, you know, at some point and, you know, still thinks it's a great investment. And one, two of the reasons why is that he thinks that he, his firm, he personally expects Apple to begin making quote, ultra high definition television sets in 2016. And that to enter the electronic car market by 2020. Uh, and that both of those markets are very big. And then the next day, uh, Daisuke Wakabayashi of the uh, Wall Street Journal had this report um, that said, I've, let me see if I can quote it exactly. Uh, but after nearly a decade of research, Apple has quietly shelved plans to make such a set more than a year ago, according to people familiar with the matter. Apple had searched for breakthrough features to justify building an Apple-branded television set, those people said. In addition to an ultra-high-definition display, Apple considered adding sensor-equipped cameras so viewers could make video calls through the set. Ultimately, though, Apple executives didn't consider any of those features compelling enough 
to enter the highly competitive television market led by Samsung Electronics Company. Apple typically likes to enter a new product area with innovative technology and easier to use software. That's, you know, and then it goes on from there, but the article could have ended there. If the Wall Street Journal could have a three paragraph story, that that would have been the story. I'm not surprised. I you you you're depressed. You you're, I mean, not, you not really. I, I just I bought a crappy Vizio TV and I and I learned a life lesson, which is don't ever save a hundred dollars when you're buying a TV. Spend <laughs> spend the extra hundred bucks and get a better TV. Uh, you know. You could make the argument that the actual television, and I think that's, I, I think this is correct, that the actual television piece of glass doesn't matter that much. Uh, you know, the, the TV companies, of course, want it to, and they've stuffed all this crappy, quote unquote, smart software on it. Um, but none of it's any good. So, really, what you just want is a dumb piece of glass with an HDMI cable running into something good. Yeah, which in this case, you know, is either your your cable box or your Apple TV or your Amazon Fire Stick or Roku or whatever, and that's fine. I but on the other hand, I still have this big screen sitting in my living room, and I wish that it was prettier. And you know, I think that Apple could have probably done a much nicer job on that. Uh, right, and sweat the details. I mean, there's all there's an argument to be made that I wish somebody would make an Apple style regular TV. Yeah, just a dumb TV, but with Apple quality uh, attention to the color of the display, the quality of the display, uh, the the bezel around the display. Make it something that Apple would want to you know use to be like the TVs in the stores. Uh, and an Apple atten- Apple type attention to the ports in the back and how they're arranged and the details and, and the sound and the remote control and the, you know even right. just as simple as the remote works, which is not right. not the you know we ha- have to get up and basically stand next to the TV to get the remote to work and yeah and even even things like what and what does it look like when you switch HDMI inputs? Does the font that tells you which one you're switching to look nice? Exactly. I have to say, mine. I have a. I still have an old Pioneer plasma that I'm going to hold on to until it breaks because I love plasma so much. Uh, and Pioneer. I. I mean, an Apple. I don't know if they still do because, but I mean, for years Apple had Pioneers in the Apple stores connected to Apple TVs. So uh, I love my Pioneer. I, I and and little things like some of the stuff that I just said, like where the ports are, how do you get to them, how how distracting or non-distracting is the bezel around the display. All of those things, the Pioneer did great. Well, I'm just saying that there's other brands that yeah. do so good. On no, I, I would not recommend a Vizio to anyone at this point. Uh, I'm still running Yahoo widgets. This is not an old TV. My first TV, my first HD TV, uh, was a brand called WinBook, which was the store brand for Micro Center, which was like a CompUSA knockoff in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And this was 2005, and it was like 1200 bucks for 32 inch or something like that and it was amazing it was it was it was great uh especially compared to this thing that you know that i just bought a couple years like a year ago that was half that price and much bigger but just a piece of crap like the coating on the screen is has got to be the most reflective coating they could have bought like they almost did it as a joke so you can you you can see your t-shirt reflecting in the screen more than you can see the show 
depending <laughs> on the light. Like we tried to watch TV during the day the other day. It just you can't what, do it because the what screen were is they so thinking? reflective. I don't know. And and this is you know I'm an idiot. For a hundred bucks more, I could have got a Samsung with probably a better coating and all that stuff. But so don't ever save a hundred bucks on a TV. And we've don't a, buy a Vizio. We've got a Samsung upstairs, and uh, it didn't didn't even pick it out. It's like it was like a reward that my wife got. She she does like this charity thing for food allergies. Oh yeah, um, I and, donate, and she's raised a ton of bucks over the years. And and it, because she was like the biggest, I don't know. If it was, uh, she, I don't know if it was the city or the state or something, but she was the biggest fundraiser in the state, and she got a Samsung TV. Um, cool. Uh, and but it, it even that Samsung isn't that good in my opinion. Like yeah. if you turn it on, it plays a sound like the Windows, the old Windows startup chime, <laughs> and it annoys me. And I can't. I, there, maybe there's some way to turn it off. I can't figure it out. I've tried. It just annoys me to know why in the world would I want my TV to play a, a jingle? You know. A, when I turn it on, just turn on. All I want you to do is turn on. I hate it. I think so, it also so, plays a jingle when you power it off too. So, so we're getting somewhere. So there's definitely a market for a, an Apple quality TV television. Yeah, but set. I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a good business. Right. Thing, you know what I mean? Like, right. like people like me would buy, I would pay extra for an Apple, just a dumb TV, an Apple HD, you know, high def TV. Uh, with HDMI inputs, or maybe you know, my the the idea was always that it would have an Apple TV built into it, right? Uh, but then I've even thought about that. Like, I don't even know how much sense that makes because what you know, I, Apple doesn't re- rev the Apple TV hardware every year. Certainly not yet. Maybe they will going forward, but you know, to date, I guess there've only been like three generations of it: the old one, and then two two versions of the new Apple TV. Um, but I expect a TV to last many years, you know, and so building the Apple TV stuff into the TV doesn't, I don't know how smart that is. Right. Cause if the, you know, if one version of the software only runs on a certain a chip, then what do you, you're not going to throw out your TV. Uh, I, this is one of these things where I think a decade ago totally would have made sense given where Apple was at that point. But now when they're in the, you know, in the reality of shipping hundreds of millions of devices a year, uh, increasingly smaller devices have, you know, building some product line that has, you know, t- tens of millions of customers maximum and is a huge box that they have to ship. I, I just, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't seem to be to reflect today's Apple very well. So, yeah. And the other thing too is if Apple wants to go like with the iPhone. Uh, six plus they switched to this new three X retina resolution, but that's not really three X it's 1920 by whatever. And that they just uh, upscale to three X and then downscale to fit the screen. They can do that because they control everything, right? They control the iOS, they control, you know, and they have all, and they know that developers will get on board and do the right thing and update to three X retina graphics, uh, and stuff like that with TV, they don't have that. They can't, they can't force the industry to go to, you know, whatever this ultra high def format is 4k types, you know, 4k content. And I know Netflix has a little bit of 4k stuff like house of cards you can get in 4k. Um, but it's like, uh, to me, the advantage of them pushing ahead with like, Hey, here's a breakthrough in high definition resolution. They can't make the industry ship content in that resolution. And then therefore what's the point of it? 
like it just the advantages of Apple doing it just don't seem as apparent to me as as with the devices where they control everything. And I guess just the difference between those two strategies is big enough that I th- and I think they they've kind of proven they and Roku and Amazon and everyone has proven that you know uh, enough people will buy and add on a little puck to their TV that that's yeah. a viable strategy to reach you know a good percentage of of households at least in the US yeah which is which is you know and unlike uh their phone business which they've now have you know incredible worldwide distribution this TV stuff is going to probably be US only for a while i mean the, the rights negotiations is still very much on a country by country basis if you look at see how long it took netflix to yeah to to get into different markets um you know it, it, I, I would be shocked if they had more than four or five countries of tv service at the beginning yeah um i also think and i wrote about this on daring fireball that and and that apple it seems to me that this the the scoop that the journal got was from Apple that I can said, Hey, we think they're going to do a high definition TV. People have been saying this forever. You know, Gene Munster has been on it for a decade that Apple's going to do a whole TV set. Uh, and I feel like it, the journal report, you never know who these people familiar with the matter are. Cause sometimes they clearly aren't that familiar with it at all. I think in this case they probably are. And I, th- I think that the, just the common sense Occam's razor is, there's widely rumored to be new Apple TV hardware coming at WWDC, including a software development kit so that you can write apps for it. Uh, I don't know anything about that. I, I know in t- years past, I know things and I coyly, you know, put them forward and, you know, I, I know a little bit more than I let on. In this case, I don't know anything. I don't know any, anybody who's told me this other than that. I know an awful lot of people who tell me that they've been told, you know, third hand or whatever. Yeah, this is all coming at WWDC. And, uh, uh, again, Scoop German has been all over it. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised if there's new Apple TV hardware at WWDC and the SDK. Um, I think that Apple wanted to get out on top of this and they want to nip this, but maybe they'll do a whole TV set too because they're not going to do a TV set and they don't want people waiting for it. That if you if what they announce in June as a little box that you connect to your TV by HDMI, if that sounds interesting to you, go and buy it. Don't hold your breath and wait for a TV set from us. Because I think if they didn't get on top of it, that's what everybody would think. They think, well, that sounds cool, but maybe I'll just wait for the TV set that Carl Icahn tells me I should be waiting for. Right. And I think it's also a way of saying, hey, uh, you know, analysts and investors who are making their financial models for Apple for the next 10 years don't don't bet on some on Great some product expansion. line, right. you know, with with two thousand dollar five K TVs either. Yeah, because that's the thing, thing too is even if they make an Apple TV that becomes very popular, it seems to be that the market for these things is about a hundred bucks. So there's not a lot of money in selling the hardware. Like whatever money there might be for them in this is in the content side. It's the and, and services and and iCloud, you know, right. whatever. Right. Selling the movies and TV shows through iTunes, taking the 30% cut of all the apps and games that you buy and whatever cut they get from Netflix for, you know, theirs being built in and et cetera, et cetera. But it's a content play more than a, you know, than a, hey, we're selling $3,000 ultra high def TVs. Yeah. And I've heard and, you know, I've read that they're really pushing on this content thing to launch in September. So we'll see yeah but they've been on that for a long time 
with struggle. I mean, you know, and and probably for good reason that the TV and and movie industry has seen what happened to the record labels and is pretty pretty much still you know cable cable TV is in in decline. I think that's not you know controversial to say that right. cable TV is in decline, but cable networks are still. That, you know, the ones that are doing well are still doing well. I think that what we've seen is we, I just think we've hit peak cable. Like cable's yeah. peak is behind it and it'll be here for a long time to come. Uh, you know, decades to come. I think, I don't, I don't think that the end is going to come quickly because I think there's too many people, you know, and then, you know, let's just face it, it skews older. Like my parents are not going to cut off their cable and switch to, to getting everything through the internet. Um, but it's, you know, it's no secret that there's an awful lot of people in their 20s, and especially their early 20s, who've never, you know, never called a cable company and said, come hook me up for, you know, cable TV, and who probably never will. That they just obtain their content <laughs> legally or illegally through other means. But it's all ones and zeros for them. Um, yeah, and I think you make a good point. I think with these, with the content, with the negotiating with the studios and the TV networks, it's like Apple having become the gargantuan industry titan that it is. When it comes to manufacturing physical things, it's been a, nothing but a tremendous advantage. You know, the rich getting richer and that they have these economies of scale where they can corner the market on components and that they have these state of the art, you know, they, they can drill single pieces of aluminum into these shapes that no other company has the ability to do. Um, you know, they're, and they're doing it with steel now with the Apple Watch, right? Like they're making, they're doing things with steel for, with the Apple Watch that are just unprecedented for the mass market consumer market. Uh, when it comes to the rights for these things, though, I think the bigger Apple gets, the harder it is for them because the more wary all these other companies are. You know, that, like you said, like the music industry is sort of like, whoa, how'd we end up giving these people so much control over the music industry? Nobody is going to make that mistake now with movies and TV. Like nobody is going to go into a negotiation with Eddie Q and not, you know, have their hand on their wallet. Right? Right. And you can tell when, when Disney and ABC are supposedly, you know, the ones, the, the also not just jumping on it. Uh, and even though, Steve and his his family is so involved uh, that you know that there's actual resistance. Yeah. U- usually, Disney was the one that that jumped on first for a lot of the initiatives. Yeah, I so. think that. Yeah, I think like ABC had their TV shows for sale before anybody else. Yeah, like before NBC and CBS at least, it was like ABC and a bunch of like cable networks and and stuff like that. Anything else on your mind before we wrap up? I think that's good. All right, I've got one thing. I've waited till I, end, yeah. but I, I promised last week on the show Drum that roll. Would, the the live version of the talk show. I'm going to give first crack to people who who listen to the show. I'm not going to post it on Daring Fireball until uh, sometime after the show's aired. And you know, look, you, you had to go through. I don't know how long this show was. Well, how long was this show? It was at least an we'll, hour. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah, it was at least an hour. So you've waited through at least an hour. Uh, and now here's where you can go. If you want to come, you're going to be in San Francisco. So the last couple of years, I've done it the same way. WWDC week. I'm there in San Francisco all week. Monday, you don't want to do it on Monday. Monday is busy because that's the keynote day. Tuesday of WWDC week. This year, that's uh, June 9th. Uh, I will be holding a live version of this podcast at Mezzanine at, uh, I think it's 444 Jesse Street, right across from uh, Blue Bottle Coffee. 
Uh, great location, just a few blocks, two, three blocks away from Moscone, right in the middle of where all the hotels are. Six o'clock to nine o'clock uh, at Mezzanine. Great event. We've been there. This will be our third year at Mezzanine. Uh, uh, we're going to have an open bar. We're going to have somebody's going to, I forget who's going to sponsor. We have a bunch of sponsors for it, but somebody's going to sponsor the bar so you don't have to worry about it. The only downside to the open bar is that it therefore requires, uh, you have to be 21 or over to come to the show, which sucks for anybody who's 20 years old or whatever. So bring ID, um, but you're going to need tickets too. And it's sold out the last couple of years. So here is where you can go. You get a heads up on uh, getting a ticket. Go to Tito. That's T-I.T-O. T-I.T-O slash Daring Fireball. And uh, you can buy a ticket there for uh, $25. And that'll get you into the show. Remember to bring ID. I think that the confirmation will remind you to bring ID. And it'll be Tuesday, June 9th at uh, at Mezzanine. You going to WDC this year, Dan? I'm not. That's a shame. I need well, to... F- yeah, I haven't gone... I've only gone twice, maybe. Someday, maybe next year I'll go. I don't know. Here, here's the thing. I, so I just started this... Uh, by the way, you haven't told people how to get tickets yet, so don't forget to do that. No, I did. I said go to Tito.com. Oh, Tito. Fireball. Oh, T-I, T-I.to. All right. I wasn't listening. <laughs> no, I did say T-I.to slash Daring Fireball. All right. That sounded weird, so I didn't... No, Tito is the... Uh, it's a ticketing system created oh, cool. by the 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 geniuses uh, behind the Ool conference. Oh, Nice. All right. uh, it's a, and uh, in my opinion, it's a really great. It's great for me. It was great for me setting it up, and it's really great. It, and it gives you like uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Like you get, uh, you buy a ticket, and then you get a little thing in your email that you can put in your uh, passbook. And then when you show up at the show, you don't have to have a ticket. You just open up your passbook, and and we'll scan you right in. I totally used that passbook on the Apple Watch to buy Starbucks yesterday, and I got a very funny look. <laughs> have you used Apple Pay? Oh, yeah, every day. But I do it through my shirt, so no one even knows what I'm ah. doing. I just kind of rub my sleeve up against the Whole Foods mm. uh, point of sale, and it pays for my food. So that's cool. Yeah. But, you know, with the passbook, it's, you're scanning a barcode. So there's a very kind of awkward positioning of your arm over their reader. Mm. Uh, it was weird. But it worked. It was cool. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not ashamed at this point. Uh, I'm used to, I, I haven't had a, a Google glass moment where I'm like, oh man, what am I wearing? You know, yeah. even with short sleeves. So I think I'm over it. I think we're cool with that. Yeah. So we're about three weeks out from WWDC. Yeah. You can get your tickets now. TI.TO, Tito, TITTI.TO slash Daring Fireball. And I, I want to thank uh, our sponsors. Our sponsors this week are Squarespace, Fracture, Igloo, and uh, Automatic great sponsors uh dan fromer you are uh what's your title at uh, quartz tech editor tech editor at quartz but even better you don't even have to spell it out just go to qz.com boom uh great domain name mobile first baby uh you guys are doing good work over there uh, and what else what else you want to give a shout out to oh just uh follow me on twitter that's where all the good stuff happens from dome f-r-o-m-e-d-o-m-e uh, you can go to fromdome.com. I have I post on there maybe once a year, so you can check that out. But yeah. uh, Twitter is where all the the fun or Instagram, whatever. Fromdome, or email me at fromdome at aol.com, <laughs> <laughs> which I recently reused. Did you really? Well, I've had it. You know, I, you know, I had it in what 1995 or something like that. Oh, it's, really? It's still there. I had to go through a little bit of a 
something to get it to get I, it right, but uh, it's there. I thought you were joking. No, man. Uh, well, that's great. That's a wrap. And, uh, you know, we've got th- there's a couple more shows in between now and the live show. But anyway, this will give everybody who listens a, uh, a heads up to get tickets before uh, before the masses who read the website get a crack at it. 